0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Christopher Media, let's make some noise.
2: At the edge of oblivion. And that our planet has just edged closer to the brink of World War III. On the brink of destruction.
3: Enormous explosions in the distance have rocked the ground we're standing on.
2: The Rapture
0: come we are receiving reports from all over the world people
4: simply vanishing into thin air
2: and the Antichrist has arisen I am that I am can a struggling man oh you can tell your God if you have something to say to me he knows where I live and the woman he loves oh,
4: God please show me what to do
2: survive the great tribulation you worship him or you die that's your choice. Cloud 10 Pictures proudly presents the groundbreaking drama, Apocalypse.
1: Welcome to an age of human and light life.
2: Shot on six continents, Apocalypse been called outstanding and soul winning. And the soundtrack, featuring some of today's finest Christian artists, is praised as exceptional. Don't miss the movie that started it all. Apocalypse.
5: Caught in the
2: eye of the storm.
5: Welcome to The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Ms. Jennifer Handorf. Hello. Also joining us is Mr. Dan Martin. I'm the one with a head injury, and I'm beginning to think the whole world's gone mad. (laughs) This week, we are covering a quartet of films made between 1998 and 2001, Caught in the Eye of the Storm, Revelation, Tribulation, and Judgment. They're a little similar to the left-behind books and films, though without the star power of Nicolas Cage or Kirk Cameron. We will be spoiling these films in so much as they can be spoiled, so get your mark of the beast on and get ready for a very sacrilegious discussion. So, Dan, was this your first experience with what people call rapture films? Yeah, I'd been aware of
6: them, but I hadn't chosen to get involved up until this point. And what'd you think? They went on a journey on the films. They went from being morally objectionable to just being the level of a very, very bad TV movie. How about you, Jen?
0: Well, I grew up in the American South, so many of these films were available at my local library. So no, it was definitely not my first experience with them first experience in a while certainly though and uh it was it was it was a little bit overwhelming i'll be perfectly honest
5: i have some sort of weird sick fascination with these films and i don't know why that is i think it's because so many of them and there are Dozens and dozens of these movies, and I don't know if people are aware of just how deep and wide the breadth of this, uh, genre, if we can call it a genre, subgenre, maybe. I mean, cause it's post-apocalyptic, kind of, and, but they all, it's like they all follow the same story beats. It's really weird. Like watching this movie, uh, the, the first one, Caught in the Eye of the Storm, aka, Apocalypse, because Apocalypse is the on-screen title, and then Caught in the Eye of the Storm apparently seems to be the title song, <laughs> which I don't get. Oh, are we going to talk about the music? Oh, the music. Is this
0: like, I moved 6,000 miles to get away from badly written Christian rock, and um, and and yet it found me. There's a lot of original music in these things, if you want to use the word original. And and what seems to be
6: the demo synth track off some keyboards as filler.
0: <laughs> just just anybody playing whatever the last loop was yeah. on the Casio they bought down at the Salvation Army. <laughs>
5: uh, Gary Busey sat on the Casio. It reminds me of almost like the sci-fi channel movies where it's like, you know, banana conda the, the banana that became a, a man eating snake versus Sharktopus or something. It's just like they all follow the same story beats and it's and I don't know where this story comes from. It's like I think from like Thief in the Night series back in the seventies, but like as far as actually tracing it back to like a real thing in the Bible, yeah, good luck. I'm not really seeing that kind of stuff it's really bizarre and it's like they come up with a story and they they all tell the same story just in different ways
0: i I would say that if 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 anyone is to treat the bible as a historical document it is not the makers of these it's interesting because they
6: vacillate dramatically between being literalists to the extent that, like, they refer to scholarly direct interpretations of the Bible done through, like, a, a legal mind in the uh, late 1800s, mid 1800s, by the end of the franchise, to just making it up. <laughs> and it, I think it's obviously these are the only four I've seen, but they all have the same arc, which is essentially a Hollywood structure of a person with an emotional deficit going through various events that uh, surround them, making choices that lead to them overcoming that deficit in some way. Normally, that deficit is like Sam Neill not liking kids in Jurassic Park or something like that. But in this, it's being an atheist every single time. Every movie is which one of these characters is going to be the one that finds God by the beginning of the third act? (laughs) And then in this case, they've just sort of, you know, then done a sort of semi-sci-fi post-apocalyptic join the dots of uh, Christian platitudes and arguments they can win because they're writing both sides.
0: If you look back in the script, you can see the pages where there was only one tab was where I was carrying you.
5: (laughs) (laughs) This first one, Apocalypse Caught in the Eye of the Storm... It's the real barrier to entry because this is the lowest budget looking one. It looks like it was shot on video and it, it, man, it is fucking rough. This is a rough watch.
6: They seem to only shoot about like 10% of the actual footage and the rest of it is culled from rather tastelessly appropriate I mean, stock footage of real disaster.
0: Yeah, the nicest thing I could possibly say about this film is that it's it's in its finest moments, it's Lenny Riffenstahl adjacent it's just, it's, oh my God, the propaganda of it. Like it, it was, it, again, having grown up somewhere where, you know, a lot of, I, I grew up with a lot of people who would, would, if I just say they would love these films, I hope that doesn't make them into too badly a light, but <laughs> it just, yeah, it felt, it felt like something that you might get tied to a chair, a la clockwork orange and made to watch when you were, when you were at one of these, you know. One of these Christian concentration camps they were forced to go to. Oh my lord! I can't believe they call them that. <laughs> the,
6: the, the first movie starts by sort of borrowing the first act and style of Countdown to Looking Glass from nineteen eighty four, in that it's a, a fake news broadcast ostensibly, and it's only when it breaks away from that and we see the news readers living their lives, sort of in between the, the news scenes, that you that it becomes.
5: And I use this term very generously, a narrative film. <laughs> yeah there's another one called i think special bulletin that is very similar i kept thinking of that one as well and yeah it's just like the, the improbably named bronson pearl <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who was the man of the year according to time i love they, they must have like a He's time the most trusted man in America. oh yeah they, because <laughs> later on in the fourth movie they've got a different time magazine cover and and helen our other main characters on that i'm just like what is up why is time focusing on these WNN reporters so much.
0: I just like the idea that the entire staff at Time are ungodly, so they're able to continue publishing without missing an issue.
5: No one got raptured in
6: the <laughs> Time office. <laughs> the, in fact, the only people that got raptured are all the janitorial
5: staff.
4: Exactly. Because
5: given the state of the world in the third one, anyone who cleaned anything got raptured. Our main characters are Bronson Pearl and Helen Hannah. And it's basically kind of their struggle. And then Bronson's away for, I'd say what, the first half of the film, he's over in Israel. And then you've got these guys, there's the an Israeli general who has just one of the best accents I've ever seen. It's like they just took this guy from Central Casting and they're just like, can you do an Israeli accent? What well, can you do, a Mexican accent? Can you do some kind of an, a vaguely ethnic accent of some, some sort?
4: This is our land
5: all we've got. There is no other safe place
3: for the Jew. You know that. Wherever we have gone for 2,000 years, we have been hated and butchered.
0: And now, they
3: want to do it to us again, in our own land. It's just a
4: tiny sliver of a land.
2: So the land is meaningless. It is our existence they cannot tolerate. We have got to fight. We are not a people who can hope for a better day. If it's one, we'll die as one.
3: I do sympathize with you, General. But it's not just nations we are talking about here. We're set, Bronson. We're going live in 30 seconds.
0: I'm pretty sure they could be sure that their audience had never heard an actual...
5: (laughs) Our Our target audience will settle for ethnic. Do you know Tony Montana and Scarface just kind of around there? And they are both reporters at WNN, the World News Network, which I don't know what their policy is, but they like to broadcast in English in any country. So, like, when they're showing these big screens in uh, Hong Kong and China, I'm just like, I don't think this is going to go over too well. But you guys do your own thing. The massive billboards seem to be uh,
6: sort of a part of Macaluso's big plan. They form the the linchpin of his stage one before the vr headsets get bust out in episode two i was gonna say it's
0: the launch announcement for the o-n-e vr headset um but it's also i think i think this is one of the first points one of the many points of many points that the the film really calls out its own target audience's bubble like the there's so much of this film that only takes place in a world that for lack of a better analogy, a Midwestern Christian 25-year-old can imagine sort of in the in the densest sort of diminutive fashion. It, the, you know, the idea that who would think that in another, in another country you would need the sign to speak any other language other than English? It sort of projects yes. this absence of, of, you know, internationality, really.
6: It's for people that don't see the value in owning a passport.
0: There's lots of things it doesn't address about the rapture, which, you know, fine, whatever, but we never have any mention of, there will be no mention of Muslims in these films. No. There will be no mentions of, of Jews. No, there's there will a couple be, of Jews in the first one. There's a couple. Okay. In the first one. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, there's okay. I stand corrected. But then, but then equally, I mean, that's one of the big things. There's small things like, again, I'm very concerned about whoever's taking care of all these Christian dogs that were left behind.
6: Yeah. I would have liked a lot more like white king wild
5: dogs roaming the streets.
0: <laughs> Thank <laughs> But they'll be Christian dogs, so it would be fine. Well, I want to
5: know what happens to the clothing industry after this. I mean, it must just completely <laughs> shut down, because as these people get raptured, and I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but when they get raptured, they leave their nicely folded clothes everywhere. But often with the shoes on top, which ruins them. Yeah, right? <laughs> Even in caskets, they leave their nicely folded clothes. So if you want, you know, you have a favorite loved one who had a really nice suit, it's probably split up the back in order to fit on the corpse a little better, but dig. <laughs> Dig away. Dig away. Look,
0: God is tidy. If there's nothing, you know, if there's nothing else, God is tidy. And that's what these films are saying. (laughs) Yeah, he's got all the chances.
5: So, yeah, you mentioned President Macaluso, and this is President Franco Macaluso, who I thought was the President of the United States at first. And then eventually we find out that he's the President of, I guess, the EU. It starts
6: off as the UN, but they retitle it, presumably because of a terse letter from their lawyers in episode three.
0: But I like it because the United Nations is always the sort of like Doctor Strange Love esque, you know, coming together to fight whatever evils attack. Like, isn't it? Isn't it the United Nations in um in the day the Earth stood still that that comes together to talk to the aliens and all this kind of stuff? So I liked it so. as a bit of a. It's it's that sort of classic nineteen fifties paranoia bad guy the the United
6: Nations. Well, because it kind of stands for like a world unity that is goes against everything that the like American Bible Belt isolationist kind of believes.
0: I'm still reeling from the fact that I feel like one of the general messages from these films is that if the entirety of humanity were, were to come together and think of peace, that would be bad. That freak I'm still I'm still well, not really sure but how, it's, that, it's, how
4: that it's how that it's,
6: it's bad because it's peace in the same way that you get if you just murder everyone who isn't your friends. And then there's like six of you which, and which you which don't is, fight.
0: Which which again seems to be like the basic tenet of Christianity for many centuries.
6: Oh, oh yeah. Like one of the <laughs> one of the big problems with this entire franchise is that in any given time when they point out something bad that Macaluso is doing by and large the Christians have done it or it has been condoned in one of the Testaments. <laughs>
5: Yeah, this whole uh, America first policy really is just you know against this idea of there being this globalist community, and we're so afraid of oh my god being part of a larger world out there. So like, let's cut ourselves off. I, I suppose Brexit
0: might be a little bit like that as oh, well. Absolutely the same. Wretched. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's it's this idea of creating divisions where there are no divisions, which to some extent. Taking that back to the films as well, there's this idea in the sales pitch for these films that they are to help convert people. I don't think they are in the slightest. I think they're to feed back into the, well, the feedback loop of information that the people who buy these films kind of sit in a community of and it's it's and the
6: coffers of the people and, make and
0: the, them. oh my god so very much the coffers of people who make them i have never seen a more cynical franchise and <laughs> you know that in a world of dc and marvel and everything else there has never been a more cynical franchise than, than the apocalypse quartet Here's an interesting tidbit. If you go to the IMDb pages of the writers, uh, they describe how well the film sold, but not how many people they converted. So I will just put that out there as the as the underlying belief. But you you spoke to some of the filmmakers at one point, didn't you?
5: I did. I spoke to the director of the second, third, and fourth film, who also worked with, uh, you, you mentioned the producers, it's Peter and Paul Lalonde, these brothers from Canada. and Those good old biblical names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they had a a real cottage industry of making these movies. They still do, actually. Didn't the the Lallones did the um, Left Behind movies, did they not? They did. And I think it feels to me like this movie really just kind of lifts a lot of left behind, like, let's try to get as close as we can. Let's eliminate the airline pilot plot and just focus in on the news reporter plot. I'm trying to remember, I think it was like, I can't remember if the reporter was Rayford Steele or if that was the pilot, but Rayford Steele and Bronson Pearl really feel like they're being cut from the same cloth. And I feel like this is our test run for the left behind series.
0: It does in many ways feel like they sort of stumbled on this formula that, that performed it, and then just really milked it. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's a, you know, it doesn't feel like the first one leaves you on a cliffhanger and says, oh, what's going to happen next? It feels like they, they turned ways to find a way to drag this into a long series. All of them kind of wrap up. But if there's anything that fans of religious
6: doctrine like, it's having the same thing repeated to them. So and,
0: and sequels. <laughs> yeah.
6: Oh yeah. Have you read the New Testament? Here's, here's,
0: spoiler alert: He's coming again.
5: <laughs> well, I mean, come on, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—it's just basically the same story we retold four times. <laughs>
0: well, and it's just—it's uh, yeah. Exa- well, and again, I just the way that that the the text of the Bible was simultaneously referred to as a historic document and then like like just badly quoted or misrepresented in his text. It's just sort of, uh it's, it's, I'm not clear. I'm not clear on whether the, I think the mystery is how much do the filmmakers actually believe? Because I think it's very easy from the financial side to see the the cynical approach to this and, and just like, I mean, to be honest, it reminds me a lot of of the low budget horror film uh, movement, or even we've got a sort of genre in the UK that's like the Cockney Wanker genre, which is all these sort of football hooligan movies, and they're purely cynical, and we can accept those as purely cynical because of the genres and the and the tenets and the blood and the violence and this. But what happens when you get faith based movies that are only being made for cynical reasons, but obviously the content? Is meant to be inherently non-cynical. So how do we how do we justify that? How does that work?
6: I think the difference between that and low-budget horror and cockney wanker films is that there are good examples of low-budget horror and cockney wanker films, and I'm yet to be told that there is a uh, an example of a good like Christian movie.
0: I th- I don't know. But by your own admission, you've just watched these four, so <laughs> I think and,
6: <laughs> and they're not good. <laughs> They are the opposite of good.
0: <laughs> I would to use the terminology remain a bit more agnostic about whether or not one could be good. I think I think it's it's the moral quandary. I don't think it's about the quality of the films. I think it's the moral quandary.
6: There are there is one well
5: written line in all four films, <laughs> and it's in number three.
0: Shall we wait for that? Then? Yeah,
5: we'll wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> all of these films are a platform to inject you know, you talked about the stock footage, but the other part that they just lift from holy is all of these ready-made religious tapes that they have and of uh, Jack Van Imp and Rexella Van Imp and uh, there's an, at least one other guy that they constantly go back to and it's just like, okay, it's, it's not stock footage, but it's just the easy way and it's like, oh, well, we have these tapes, these like ready-made rapture tapes, so let's go ahead and do this and then the, even those are all cut together and they just little, pull little bits and snippets and then be like, okay, yeah, this is the message. This is the message we need to get out. I mean, by the time we uh, hit the second film, it's all about hijacking the, the satellite transmissions and being able to broadcast these Van Imp tapes
6: given that van imp are actually a production partner van imp ministries are a production partner on this that is literally a now a word from our sponsors moment when they cut and it's the same by and large it's the same evangelical footage in all four films there's a few new bits here and there throughout but the uh, the super deceiver speech just comes back in every movie
0: Well, and this is, this is where I'm going to take my producer brain and go back into being massively financially cynical. And it's, um, you know, we don't get, we don't get the star power of the likes of Howie Mandel and Mr. T until the later films. So they're, they're catering to their audience with these tapes. Those televangelists have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of listeners or followers. And so if you put them in films like this, is exactly the same as putting, you know, star power in it, putting Nick Cage in it or something like that, as they do later. Not being purely cynical here, if you if you look at their I love it, the production companies are production and marketing companies. Every single one of themselves describes themselves as a production and marketing company, which alarms me at its core. One of the ways that they sell these films is that they will send a copy to like local ministers and then have them recommend it to their parishes very much in that same way they're using these co-sponsors who are either financially sponsoring the film or sponsoring it through their you know their their endorsement just as dan says now's a word from our sponsors so it's just as much about i i again i i would say that the content of what they're saying is less important than getting their faces in it if that makes sense Though their faces are in
5: it quite a bit. I mean, there's one whole section where Helen just sits there and watches tape after tape after tape and makes all these notes so that she can go back to Bronson and be like, listen, this is what's really going on. Like, she's the only one that knows the truth after the rapture happens.
0: Well, and, and later they're so interesting that a blind woman actually sits and watches them for several minutes as a, as a reason for us to watch and, them as well. And with headphones
6: on that are playing music,
0: exactly. so
6: she can't even hear right. it.
0: I love the dizzying logic of these films. It's absolutely spectacular.
5: Yeah, so we've got the rapture, that eventually happens, and then that always makes me question the morality and the goodness of everybody else in the film. It's like, okay, if you guys didn't get raptured... What's going on? You know, what was your moral flaw? Like I can understand Bronson's and Helen's maybe, but everybody else who purports to be a good character. I'm just like, so why are you still here?
6: This is why I think, and Jen and I have discussed this a lot over the last <laughs> week or so while we've been watching these, um, this is where I feel that there is a certain amount of conversion intent in these pictures. Because I think they're saying, look, you can be a good Christian, you can be a good person, but you need to believe in this specific thing, otherwise it's not enough. Like, there's literally a line later where one of the characters says, uh, going to church no more makes you a good Christian than going into a pet store makes you a cat, which obviously is stupid because you can't buy Christians in a church, but. They- <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> Anymore. But the, um, but like they're literally saying, hey, viewers, you know, you're watching this. You're into whether it's, you know, you're a big fan of Corbin Burnson or you're, you really like these evangelists, but, What's really important is that you need to up your game, you need to believe in the rapture, and that only as a child will you enter the kingdom of heaven with that pure innocence
0: yeah it's it's one of those like major technicalities about being a Christian versus being a good christian, and it's the it's the notion that you can't just say you're Christian or go through the motions you have to in your heart truly accept God, which <laughs> um you know there's no litmus test for, so again it's one of these sort of vagaries that that can just sit there and be open and and you know it's the it's the kingdom of god being the carrot and the untangible ineffable requirement to get in is the stake (laughs) the idea that you can be good and not have been you know banffed into the forever after is as dan said part of what makes it accessible to other audiences i think the fact that they're You know, it it leaves open this idea of, can there be a happy ending for anyone who is left behind, so to speak? Well, yeah,
6: if they get killed by the devil, they go to heaven. It's one of the big issues with the whole, like, the entire dichotomy is problematic, because it's like, just say no, do your thing, Macaluso turns up, he'll kill you, you go to heaven, that's what you want! You know, if if killing yourself wasn't against the law, the second the devil turns up, they'd all commit suicide. But that, but that's against the rules, so they have to sit around waiting for the you know the Euro Devil to come along and guillotine them in a dream. Euro Devil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, by the way, what what Jeremy Corbyn calls the E.
5: Yeah, I like how ethnic he is in this first movie. He's played by a different guy in the rest of the films, but in this one, he's got a more of a thicker accent and he's slighter and stuff. And yeah, he just uh, oh, he exudes evil so well.
0: He's quite sinister, isn't he? He's got um. It's as the as the as the character develops later on. There's a there's a British comedian named uh, Kevin Eldon who always plays these sort of uplit comedy creeps and i'll be damned yeah, if he's not the absolute it's, spit for kevin elvin
6: Macaluso's right-hand man in number two who looks like kevin is Alvin. that
0: the one yeah. is that oh my god it's so good it's absolutely brilliant but i love this sort of like bava-esque hard lighting that they i don't i don't know if it's only because they had three lights or two gels or what but It's because
6: they didn't have any furniture or wall dressings <laughs>
0: It's, it's, yeah, this chroma sort of day glow lighting is, is such a strange choice and yet so committed to. Well,
6: they couldn't be, uh, they couldn't be described as encumbered by subtlety when it comes to demonstrating <laughs> that these guys are bad. Whether it's, uh, whether it's, well, I won't, I won't get to the most ridiculous overtop. Oh, he's bad now, which is from the end of number three.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's an, it's an amazing transition. And then obviously just, in this first one especially, as soon as you can sit there and go, You what? They flash immediately to these news reels of horrible graphic real images. I'm pretty sure we saw people die in those. I'm not sure we saw you know, it just feels very Mondo esque. And you don't even have long enough to really complete your last what the fuck thought until you get to the to the next moment. Really,
5: yeah. Bacaloso in this film, he's got a guy named Parker, uh, who he just reminds me of Stephen Miller so much. He's just kind of drawn and his thin hair, and just seems to again exude evilness. And he, my God, is he chewing up the scenery every time he's on screen.
6: Yeah, the the left hand of the devil is always hilarious. Uh, hilarious casting.
5: The thing that I find to be the most hilarious with all of these is what they call the people who are left behind that are secret Christians or maybe not so secret Christians, the ones who are going against Macaluso and they are called the haters.
7: The oh, yes. haters.
6: <laughs> when did when did haters become like parlance in outside of these Christian movies? Was it already being used by then? I feel like it was more recently than that. Uh, and that the writers of this must have been like,
0: God oh, damn it! Oh, wait, that's ours! We used that! <laughs> Those are the haters. As opposed to the lovers, which is which, is, which would be different. Um,
6: when people started saying, saying haters gonna hate, they're like, no, that's the point, they're not. It's they're ironic. Not, they, they, haters are going to love everybody unconditionally no, and forgive. They,
0: they love God more than the unity of the world. Which I again, I wasn't a r- aware those things were at crossed odds, but you know <laughs> as as the film goes on, what these films really taught me is that if you want to love God, you've got to be willing to die for him and hate everyone else as far as I'm aware. that's yeah. basically what we're doing. But if you like the devil, you get tele- telepathy and world peace. So again, I'm a bit confused by the ground rules of Christianity as yeah. they were explaining to me what, previously that these films
6: what, what they're telling us, especially in this first film, what they're telling us is that if uh, if someone comes along and they're in charge of a big uh, like collection of nations and they manage to broker a peace deal, then they're evil. That's it. We can't trust anyone who's trying to organise world peace. They are shifty. Yeah, especially peace in the Middle East. That is really bad. Well, although actually, that said, I think that the person who's currently in charge of creating peace in the Middle East is probably the son of the devil. So.
1: Now, a senior negotiator appointed by Donald Trump is on his way to the Middle East to promote a future peace plan for Israel and Palestine. President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was expected to accompany Jason Greenblatt on a week-long tour of Gulf states. The U.S. delegation will outline
6: the economic elements of a proposal aimed at ending the decades-old conflict.
0: Just got some exciting news for you guys off of our information wire here, which is that, um, haters, uh, comes from the notorious BIG's player hater, um, uh, in his, uh, songs released in 1995. So, um, oh, well, so, yeah, this was... so this is, this is post three player years, hater. Three years off. Now. Um, so the writers of this were very hip with the kids and, um, Peter
5: Lalonde, big notorious BIG fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you were you watching WNN just now?
0: I don't know it's it's I've got I've got the alerts on my phone, so they they come up, uh, and it's actually because my phone can hear any time I say anything controversial. It just it's, it's,
6: it's, Russia just prodding you with information. You know,
0: Russia, Russia just likes to send in slow nudges as I as I carry <laughs> on. Again, it's it doesn't seem to to. It's like a montage of cultural references. It doesn't seem to be taking from any one um, solid platform. It just seems to sort of be throwing what sticks or, you know, throwing and seeing what sticks. And what they come away with is just mind boggling.
6: (laughs) It's a law of averages. They just make enough crazy comments and...
0: And some of them stick.
6: You start to see a pattern that is sort of like
0: a story. Oh, I think I've, I think I've now come across my favorite line, which is, and I realize we're bouncing around massively here, but is, is, um, yeah, is, um, Gary Busey later explaining to his Christian police officer colleague, well, if this has something to do with the devil, I wish they'd sent you. You're a Christian. You know more about that stuff. And it's like the, the instant ability for someone to instantly believe that sending a christian cop to a crime scene would have made a difference um but then not be willing to believe any of the other stuff that he sees like it's such a weird (laughs) that all of these people oh when can we talk about salty bananas i can't wait (laughs) (laughs) i know i know i keep jumping ahead it's just too much
6: it's really hard i'm still i'm really amped to talk about mr t
5: so (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing each of these movies gets better and better and better (laughs)
0: that's the word you want to use but they do get more superfluous in a, oh, as
6: a sort of in a sort of delirium kind of way I guess they do you start to have your view of the world um, reshaped
0: <laughs> I did find that I was sort of shouting at the screen by by the last ones but I'm not sure I'm not sure if that was the my own Stockholm syndrome that had sort of formed around them or um or my my absolute engrossment in the narrative of, of the of the films but um <laughs> Oh yeah, but but things were going down in apocalypse, weren't they? It was it was not going well for our characters in apocalypse.
5: No, and they end up cold murdering uh, Bronson Pearl, and he is gone by the time that the second movie Revelation comes out, which is set three months later. And now we focus on Jeff Fahey, who is watching home movies, which is something that I was just uh we just did an episode on Minority Report, and I was trying to think of all the times that we have cops watching home movies and in. Enjoying the, the life that they used to lead. And this is, you know, I'm not saying that the makers of Minority Report took anything from Revelation.
6: <laughs> yeah. I, I literally have in my notes. Uh, this is very John Anderson, this scene. <laughs> my,
0: my favorite thing about this particular scene, which uh, Dan and I watched this one separately and then both put it up to each other, was um, the loving way in which her husband commanded her to smile and then show him her face. <laughs> yeah, <there's> some- <laughs> Go on, darling. Smile show me it was it was like the, the even grab her face yeah even even not intending to the, the really just grim grim content beneath the veneer of this film is absolutely mind-boggling but yeah it's um it, it mirrors later when our when our lovely um blind later not blind woman is told to smile um lots of women being told to smile by men in this film despite the fact that they're in the middle of the apocalypse so just just wanted to put that out there <laughs> what she's
6: not got to smile about she's <laughs> she's at least she can't see all the tor- all horrible things around her i
0: liked it yeah she she also i love the blind character who keeps describing the rooms there in. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the shithole so I mean, do- <laughs> i'm
4: guessing it smells like a
0: shithole. <laughs> it smells like a shithole. <laughs> you all stink is what i'm saying can we not get a shower in here yeah <laughs> no we can't all the plumbers yeah plumbers
6: plumbers and uh janitors all got raptured
2: (laughs) a man struggling with memories we don't need church to make us a family all right of a family lost forever i'm not looking for god i'm just looking for my family in a world gone mad please will you help me is about to discover I told you I don't believe in God. What true faith is all about.
0: It's okay. He believes in you.
2: Cloud Ten Pictures proudly presents Jeff Fahey.
8: Knock over this little glass of water right now, and I'll be a believer. Come on.
2: Nick Mancuso.
8: I will show you the
2: power, the life within yourselves. And Carol Alt. I know you. I am the Messiah. In a Peter and Paul the biblical epic, Revelation. Let the day of wonders witness the world of the Great Tribulation. What a Jesus? A world ruled by the Antichrist. Renounce, Cindy. And follow one man's journey to find his family. That's my Wendy. I beg. Renew his faith. Not even your God can save you. And discover Revelation. The book has been opened.
5: So this is the movie that introduces us much more to psionic abilities and to virtual reality. And I think there's just something really ironic having Jeff Fahey be in a movie about virtual reality since we all know him as the Lawnmower Man.
0: Oh, yeah. so good. It's it's obviously he's been typecast as what the 80s thought the future would look like.
6: I love the scenes where he's having VR explained to him by Spino <laughs> Be- because of...
0: Spino! His,
6: Spino. Sp-
0: sp- Spino <laughs> the wheelchair man. Spino
6: the paraplegic, yeah. This movie is a little problematic in some of its ableism. <laughs>
0: uh, and, it's nominative determinism. And
6: everything else. Yeah, like he goes in and, and Spino's dressed like a cowboy because he, it seems that his... In this world, VR puts you in the costume you're wearing in the real world, we notice later. So Espino dresses for the beach, and they're on a beach. Espino dresses as a cowboy, and he's a cowboy in, in VR. So yeah, and he gets to explain to, to Jeff uh, about VR, which includes some rather fun interaction with a shell at one point as well.
0: Oh yeah, the pseudo shell moment. That's like, you know what? You know what's going to go well in these Christian films is if the guy just just flays himself for a few moments. This is this is not the first time this film is reminiscent of the Hellraiser series. It's well, yeah.
6: There's definitely some of that stuff in Hellraiser Two where they're just running around dimly lit corridors. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too because it's it is fun, especially and 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 I think that is one of the science fiction bits of of this, this series that can be a lot of fun is that actually looks quite a lot like VR looks now as far as the headsets are concerned, except theirs have duct tape all over them for some reason. And somebody got a little bit happy with a label maker. So it's just (laughs) got like a a massive label maker printed sign on the front of it. Well,
6: I remember going and trying out VR at around this time. There used to be a big arcade in London in the Trocadero and they had the first VR headset I ever got to try on. I was up there um, with my father and I put this thing on. it It was like a dinosaur safari simulator and it was, you're a red polygon. (laughs) and then like three green polygons which was a pterodactyl went by you and you shot them with your brown polygon (laughs)
0: Uh, at which point did the red polygon ask you to take the mark of the beast
6: (laughs) I mean I'm marked up already (laughs) I was born with it in my hairline so I'm all good
2: 666 the devil's area code search for it on the skin of the evil one What, what evil one Damien hey it's all right It's just three nines.
6: (laughs) Well, that's the emergency
5: number in the UK, so that's how I remember that. There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, now we've recast Franco Macaluso as Nick Mancuso. So all the times while I'm writing my notes, I just keep combining those things and saying Frank (laughs) (laughs) Mancaluso. And, yeah, his big plan is this whole thing called the Day of Wonders, which now he is firmly in charge of everything and no mention of any other government officials. We don't know what happened to any of these people.
0: They were all raptured, good Christians. All. Oh, okay. Well, I can definitely yeah. see our president being raptured. <laughs> oh, definitely. He's definitely. I'm sure. I'm sure he is a believer in something. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I'm a Christian. I, I, you know, I have a lot of reasons. I love. I love people.
5: So he's got this whole plan of enacting this day of wonders, which is all going to take place via VR. And I find a real hard logistical problem with this because when you put on the VR headset later on in the film, we're talking probably like third act, he shows up and I think he shows up individually for every single person that puts on the headset and I'm just like, how does that happen? Is, is it just... It's
0: like Santa! Don't worry about it! He could be everywhere at once! Well, As the
6: dark deity he is omni- om- omnipresent. He can literally appear to everyone at once. Uh, earlier on in... Oh, no, it's in number three when they possess two people at
3: once. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, it is. I, I did question that momentarily. And then in the context of everything else in this film, I think by this point I had just stopped being resistant to nonsense. Um, and so I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. So he can do this with everyone at once. Um, the, the, the thing is the film
6: like a lot of admin. <laughs> dismisses so many flaws. Uh, but but <laughs> it but it. Forward. But the fact that it dismisses it means that it recognizes them, like the. And, and this isn't one that they acknowledge. But there are so many times when they're like, oh, but hang on a minute. If someone's watching this, they might say, but surely this and they're like it's okay we'll put in this line that will completely blow that question out the water
0: (laughs) well and it's it's i'm gonna go back to the cynical finance of this all again because i I don't think it's any mistake that the director and producer of this went on to make what they claim is the first vr uh feature film which is called what like jesus
6: jesus jesus vr jesus vr yeah
0: Yeah, it shares an
6: executive producer and a religious consultant with the passion of the christ
0: (laughs) My my religious consultant is God. But uh, but yeah, it's I mean, I I really wouldn't be surprised if that is an element of of they knew they wanted to make something VR, they've been waiting for it, they've been making it happen, da da da. So they centered these films around a virtual reality headset because that's something that's a way to introduce that's what
6: they were it. Excited about. Can I can I sidebar very quickly and just tell you a little thing about Jesus VR? Oh please. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus VR, I watched the trailer. Uh, or two different trailers and a, and an announcement video on YouTube when I when I found out that it was had been made I was very excited about this and one of the things they did was uh, on the trailer was they put a four star review quote from Peter Bradshaw in the Guardian oh dear and I was like well that's quite impressive Bradshaw you know whether or not I always agree with well, his taste yeah he's a relatively highbrow chap the Guardian's a highbrow newspaper that still feels a little bit weird so I did a bit of digging and I found Peter Bradshaw's uh, review of Jesus VR. Uh, In the Guardian Which I'm going to read you A tiny little bit of This is literally The opening line From Peter Bradshaw's review The acting Dire The direction Awful The adaptation Conservative and pedestrian In conventional terms Everything about this New retelling of the Jesus story Showing here in Venice In an abbreviated 40 minute cut Is ropey It, it it gets it gets four stars for the technology is quite impressive and I think we're going to be able to do some interesting things with it in the future and a sideline where he says that during the crucifixion the computer overheated so his head got all hot and that felt quite immersive <laughs> but they put that on the poster.
0: Oh my days! Yeah, it's just it's such a it's I so again this goes back to sort of you know like uh, the I think the audience that this is intended for takes all of this for granted as as fact but i'm not sure how much the filmmakers are on board with that i'm still i don't want to cast aspersions on anyone but i don't know and how far does it go does the grip believe would the grip survive the rapture would he go to heaven i don't know later in this
6: movie they burn a massive crucifix <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i
6: said to i said to jen do you think they had to go like out to the lower crew and be like Guys, is there anyone here who's comfortable with burning a cross? Everybody. <laughs> and Jen's their like, hand immediately. no, they're all fine with it. It's all fine. <laughs> I was on one of the first movies I ever worked on. There was a like a reflection in a broken mirror, quite you know, quite a hackneyed shot. And they were like, oh, we need someone to crack the mirror, and no one would break the mirror because of superstition, and so it fell to me to go outside and put a crack in a mirror.
0: Mate, people are incredulous. I had to get ghost insurance for a movie once. <laughs> So, like, the people, people, you know, people, people, well, you know, it's really funny though, is we are, like, animals are superstitious. It's how we learn. It's how we build patterns and recognize patterns and this kind of stuff. It's just, it gets wired into certain people's brains more intensely than others. Well, it's like
6: superstition is a programming error in our ability to learn between safety and danger.
0: Mm, well, in, and anything, processes as well. But yeah, it's, um, it's a funny thing about the human brain, but the result is that we get, stories like this she says <laughs> as yeah. delicately as
6: possible you're, you're definitely right that the target audience are meant to be like duh, duh. every time everyone's <laughs> like well it's jesus <laughs> like there's no one is no one's meant to be like oh what's the answer here oh my goodness jesus it's not i did not see that coming <laughs> there's, jesus, an, um, what? there's an amazing conversation between farhi and his partner at the beginning after they see the um the exploded bus and they're using satellites to track the source of the detonation and they get there and uh and Fahi and um and the and his partner are talking about Macaluso and whether or not he's a con man as uh Fahi says and his partner's like no he's definitely the savior yeah, It's definitely and he's like i'm pretty sure he's just a con man and he's like right oh or maybe he's an alien <laughs> and all the way through the partner like dismisses things because Fahi's opinions are he, he just sort of imposes upon him the theory that things are from space and that that's ludicrous, <laughs> and therefore his argument is invalid when far he does not suggest that at all
0: we I like that actually- that's a little a little in argument with the battlefield Earth guys where they're where they're
6: like all <laughs> religious movies are deeply less silly than your. Movies. <laughs>
5: Well, I didn't even, like, pick up on this whole thing of, of uh, uh, Thorold Stone, I love this name, the the Jaffe character, that he does not believe that the rapture took the wife and daughter, and that he really actually does believe that it was aliens, and there's even a part where he's in his car, and he's got this, like, book of, like, blah, 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 alien abductions, and I'm like, what, the? and, and then I'm sitting there going, okay, what what's more crazy? What is literally more crazy that the, that, that the big man man in the sky took your wife and daughter or that the little green men in the sky took your wife and daughter what is more nutty and of course this movie wants us to think that the second choice is the nuttier choice
6: well that's the thing i mean statistically speaking as an atheist there is more there's more chance of there being life in the uh in the universe like other than on our planet than there is of some deity
0: well, and this is this is what brought us to my my most cringeworthy line of the series, uh which is particularly tone deaf and appropriate for the new cycle at the moment, but it says, um uh it's not people who believe in aliens that they're sending to concentration camps, it's people who believe in the Bible, and it was like. Oh wow!
6: <laughs> no, you're you're wrong. It's Mexican kids.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like, oh, and
6: man, that's being done really by
5: Christians.
0: I know. It's just, it's just like, oh wow. There's just a lot. Just
5: this morning, that picture of Uber Christian Mike Pence standing outside of the cages with all those men in it. It's just like, and no compassion on his face whatsoever. It's like, wow. But he's
6: never alone in a room with a woman who isn't his wife. So you know, he's a he's gonna get raptured.
0: That's haters for you. It's so utterly tone deaf in places that again, like, like the, the inherent p- hypocrisy. I just keep going back to it and it just absolutely exploded my mind about every, every scene change in this where, you know, the tenants of this are just at odds with each other, just constantly at odds with, with each other. And it's more, I would go with the fact that, that, um, that our chief bad guy, who later gets called Lucifer, and I don't know if I'm missing some of my Bible history or not. Here, I don't know if yeah, if there's an, like like, a, an actual, is like that a demon name that I've missed out on or something or Lucifer? Well, no, 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 no,
5: they the, call Mac- him. Gets oh, Lucifer. right, Macaluso in, court, in the court case. Yeah, uh, yeah, they just like drop all pretense that he's anything other than Lucifer, and and that was shocking to me.
6: I wondered if maybe Macaluso was meant to be Mark of Lucifer in a Louis in a Louis cipher kind of way. (laughs) Oh, wow! Really,
0: a really loose. Dan is seeing levels in this film that the filmmakers didn't even know they were implanting.
5: I mean, isn't that all film criticism? (laughs) When I was a kid, uh, there was some crazy guy going around my neighborhood leaving all of these handwritten and photocopied pamphlets that he made all about the Mark of the Beast. So I've kind of been just fascinated by this idea. And they were hilarious. They were like cartoon drawings of this guy at a gas station with a board bubble that comes out that says, now that I've got my 666 Mark of the Beast tattoo, I can fill up my car. And it's like, wow. And and talking about like, oh, the World Bank, if you add up all these things. So again, it's the whole like globalism, it's commerce. And that's the thing is too that was cracking me up, too, is they're like, oh, until you get the mark, you won't be able to buy or sell anything. And I was just like, well, we could barter or is is socialism
0: bad exactly yeah is that having socialism and christianity be on the same line of any argument is is slightly at odds with itself as well
6: i mean i presume that's an acknowledgement of a specific line in the book of revelation where they're like well yeah but that was written a long time ago when buying and selling was kind of like it like they'd just come out of a bartering period currency was comparatively exciting (laughs)
0: Well, and you get you get as well that there—I oh, can't remember what it was—but obviously, at the heart of a lot of financial tensions between uh, Christians and Jews is the idea that um, Christians couldn't lend money. So I don't know if that's part yeah, of it. yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. They, it was considered filthy to lend money, so they let the Jews do it, and then and then they were like, "God damn it, they're really good at it, and they're making loads of money. Let's demonize them for being rich." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is this woman Irish who comes up in this one? Or no, no, no. It- Irish is four. Oh, is she in four? See, this the is Ur-Rish the other thing. Irish lady. The <laughs> Irish lady. Um Yeah, where the
5: hell me? is Helen from?
0: Um,
6: I think she starts off pretending to be American, but she's mimicking the American voices of her
5: Canadian co-stars. Yeah, <laughs> she sounds a little Australian at times. I mean... Uh, she's English, I think.
0: It does go all over the shop, though, doesn't it? There's it's some solid scenes of just English, though. Yeah, there's definitely solid English. I thought she was Australian on
5: the first one. Because her grandmother has the same accent, and then everybody else has really just, the Canadian slips through so much. I love it. Eh? That's some of my favourite bits. (laughs) It's when the day players turn
6: up, and they're just just Canadian.
0: (laughs) In this international cast. And again, everything, I love that everything is so centralised, everything stopped being global. We don't get shots of, like in usual apocalypse films, you get like, shots of the of the Eiffel Tower exploding or the White House exploding or there's no contextualization it's just everybody's gone don't worry about it well, they uh, got all that out of the way in the
6: first one VR with, headsets
0: mark of the devil don't yeah
6: worry about it. they got all that they they show like footage of China and they're like <laughs> England <laughs> like mislabeling places
5: <laughs> they actually had a Japanese guy get raptured I was just like uh, okay really he's the one okay. he's the one yeah <laughs> well, statistically
6: there'll be fewer like japan i think one of the only countries where it was completely illegal to be christian like actually in history
0: well and it's i mean you know and many many places where it was the opposite but um but the uh, the the other side of that is and we've kind of we we stopped with him but i really want to go back to him is um is our good friend um spino who just got me through this series spino and his his, his later unexpected return in court um, but yeah, I loved Spino. I,
6: I feel like that was a little bit of a stunt cameo. It in number was. four When they he come mean, comes back, Spino. they're like,
5: everybody, we need to bring in the Spino. We love
0: Spino. That's we why Spino. the third
5: movie just failed. Cause they're just like, not enough Spino. Not,
6: not enough, enough Spino, Spino. Spino. But, but you know, I feel like Spino and Busey, they wouldn't have vibed.
0: I, I no. would love to see. I feel like maybe he was in the film and then it, there was you a scene <laughs> he just unhinged his jaw and swallowed swallowed
5: him on on lunch before his first take come on over here I'm hungry (laughs) I think
6: Spino feels like he's lifted out of a boondock sakes ripoff. oh totally yes
0: I love him he's got some flashy eyewear as well I think it's important people take note of his style choices uh, he
6: wears his cool yellow shades under his VR headset his his non-prescription sunglasses under his VR headset so
0: you can wear them in the space that is completely invented out of code.
6: I don't think he's wearing them on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely not wearing them when he cuts his chest with a shell, because you can see his eyes. He does Uh, a weird
0: thing. Maybe he takes them off, but not in reality. Maybe he takes them off and throws
6: them out of frame, like he does with every
5: object he touches while on the beach.
0: Every time I try to make these films make sense, my head hurts.
5: We haven't even mentioned Helen in this movie and her group of haters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who are going to hate. Yes.
5: they're they, they are great. Uh, she's got a great haters. She's got the hateful great. Yeah, she's got her own computer guy who then who is not the same as Spino, and then she's got different, different Jake guy. Goss who is played by Patrick Gallagher who is a very familiar character actor and he's basically the gruff little bit heavy-set kind of guy who just doesn't believe anything that is going on. She's got Carol Alt as Cindy, uh both, yes, films. Bolton,
0: or the eyes, as Dan was calling her yeah, all I, through I, the film. <laughs> I missed
6: her name early on, so I was just referring to Spino in the eyes. <laughs>
5: that sounds like a cop show.
0: I'd super watch that <laughs> Spino in the eyes,
5: played by Carol Alt, who is this uh, absolutely gorgeous supermodel, and who I yeah. mostly know from like her cameo in. Uh, howard stern's private parts and oh, then God, she yeah, shows I'm up terrifying. here yeah she shows up here as the blind girl and so <laughs> yeah we've got the blind girl and then spino's in the wheelchair and it, it there's this whole side plot with this woman named selma davis who's played by miriam carvel whose husband gets murdered right in front of her she's there in prison because she's a she's a secret christian and gets rounded she's up
0: another hater she's a hater
6: well, she's one of the ones oh, initially well, blamed for blowing
0: up the school bus. See, that's, that's the other thing is, uh, the, the, the backbone of the, um, let's call it a crusade, if you will. It's definitely a crusade. The, the crusade against the haters. An
6: inverse crusade.
0: Is that, um, there's, it can't be inverse crusade. It's just a crusade. It's all founded on this idea that the haters were blowing up converts and they weren't. And, and so is it not just enough for them to not, you know, to be haters? They also have to be blowing up
6: again they sort of fluctuate quite a lot the bible seems to be illegal and maybe that's enough to like to arrest people but Not then
0: having the sign but then
6: also they're like you know what let's just really make sure and black flag the shit out of this situation <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna blow up a lot of our own people uh, specifically they list schools uh, school buses old age like old age homes and orphanages
0: <laughs> i think donald trump has seen this movie
5: This reminds me of that terrorist incident in Sweden all those years ago or the Bowling Green massacre that we had here
0: it's so true like it is it really it's um it's it's just very weird the way it holds up a mirror at its own culture and says when someone else does it it's wrong
6: to jump ahead a little bit later in number three there's a scene where Beauty's hiding from the the onE like police and he goes into a like an underpass full of uh, destitute and homeless people uh, and the the ONE police come in and just start like randomly shooting people and I was like are they do they shoot their own people or like why are they shooting it and it turns out they haven't raptured these people so the the thing that came to mind is like so first of all it's hard to post people vr headsets if they're homeless like that's (laughs) that's tricky but also they like obviously that they decide that these people are of a low enough stature that they're not worth taking the souls of which feels like more of a judgment call from the filmmakers than the devil
0: yeah, cuz the devil's super about numbers, isn't he? Yeah,
6: it's got to get those numbers up. Well, got to get those numbers. And it's, ABC I, always be converting. converting. <laughs> <laughs> Put
5: their coffee down.
4: <laughs>
0: At some point the goal for the baddies seems to be to either get all the Christians dead or everyone who's still alive on earth to be uh to carry the mark of the devil. So that they can all think about world peace at the same time and empower themselves to change the world for good. Am I missing something? No,
6: that's a that's a sell. That's how they're convincing people to side with the devil It's the world peace thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, you've been you've been sucker by the by the uh, ever charismatic Macaluso. would
0: be the first time.
6: Um, no, the, the the devil needs enough people on side, and that includes killing everyone who isn't on side. That Earth becomes his domain. So if he gets over a certain percent, if he gets his hundred monkeys, then uh, then he wins basically. Sorry, can you
0: use bananas and the ocean to explain that to me? Not if until the third on- movie Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait. I think the metaphor about bananas and the ocean and how monkeys eat them would help me understand this whole thing a lot better, but maybe that'll come later.
6: We'll come back to that for you. We'll we'll make it all nice and clear. thank you. One of the things that undermines these movies is that as far as the Christians are concerned, and by the Christians I mean both the audience and the Christian characters in the movie, this whole thing is rendered somewhat moot by the fact that it is all going according to God's plan and that nothing they do will make a difference. Like sooner or later, God will turn up. He'll say, okay, go away, Satan. You lose. I win. Everything's over. Everyone join me in the kingdom of heaven. And so like just being Christian is enough for these people and they don't need to try and thwart the devil. They don't need to try and I guess maybe it's they're trying to convert back people. Can you get someone back from being 666? Well no
0: cuz they they have said like they do I'm pretty sure they state quite clearly that the rule is once you are given the mark you can't go back. Like <laughs> sorry I've just heard what I said out loud. Once
6: Once you go black church you, you never, never go, go back, back to, back to, to church. church. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, it seems it seems like there's a finality to it and yet there's there's no finality to being Christian which but then again, well, conversion is If like you trick the, the devil into
6: killing you, then you get to go to heaven. That's the finality of Christianity. Yeah, death by devil.
0: Death by devil. <laughs> the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> I just, all I really wanted from this film was for somebody to shoot somebody and then turn and say to camera, now go with God. And nobody ever did it. Nobody ever did it. It's just, I needed more like action one-liners after people are, are sent to their maker.
6: Spino is the one-line king. One, one-liner king, though.
0: If Dane Cook was stealing comedians' lines, Spino was stealing Dane Cooks. It was like every dad joke I'd ever heard rolled up into one little delightful character.
5: As my friend Quasimodo says, <laughs> "I got a hunch. That's probably my favorite line in the film."
0: <laughs> as, as, as my, I like the idea that he was friends with Quasimodo, or that like,
6: no, he's super ableist. He just <laughs> he knows someone with, <laughs> with his, sc- it's his mate scoliosis, his and mate, he calls him Quasimodo. <laughs> Quasimodo. <laughs>
0: I just like the idea that he on the regs hangs out with like 18th century literary references. Like he's, you know, <laughs> Esmeralda and I, you know, just don't worry about it. It's cool. It's chill. It's like <laughs> him, and
6: his, him and his blind girlfriend.
0: That's that's what they do. Hey,
6: why do blind people wear sunglasses? But people, deaf people don't wear earmuffs.
0: <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> One of many questions. It
5: means Spino's an idiot.
0: <laughs> oh, I love him so much.
5: So this is 1999 that this movie comes out, the same year as The Matrix, which I find very ironic because they basically end up showing up in that uh Matrix waiting room so many times. That's their VR is going into the big white room waiting for, you know, uh Tank and Dozer to download the whatever program. Yeah.
0: It's because it's cheap, guys. It's mm. Well,
5: that's like- that's my favorite bit is when Macaluso
6: has uh, eyes in the uh, in the white space with him, and he's like, "You can see," and she's like, "Amazing, I can see." And he's like, <laughs> "He's like, yeah, you can, you can see me, and you can see all of this white nothing. But imagine if it was sky and grass and stuff—that would be good, right?" And she's like, oh, "Yeah, amazing, I can see it." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, but not in here," pointing at her head. <laughs> Out there, <laughs> it's like, "Come on, man, render some fields." We seen that you can do beaches if you're trying to sell sight to this woman show it to her
0: so good for instance so she gets she gets the gift of vision incredible like that's you know scientific and you know now science has gone further that's not not actually out of this world and he was already walking around in in his vr and and pretty happy with that as his limits we didn't get a lot from him see okay so this is where i think like the craft really falls down if you can if you can if you can bear with me for a second is that if you're gonna build this character whose ultimate choice is to betray his friends Mm -hmm. for the ability to walk you Mm -hmm. gotta make him want it a bit more he's just like oh no that would be cool that's
6: the that's the the moment that's the best line in the entire franchise when Fahi tries the vr on first and they're on the beach he takes it off and he says wow if i had one of these i'd never leave my house and there's a genuine moment of pathos when Spino says without it, I'd never leave my chair.
0: And that's a that's a good line. It is, but I just don't think it sets up betraying God. I think it's not. And such a big, no, and his half sister. It's,
6: it's not such a big leap for him because he says a couple of times before he makes that choice that he already believes that Macaluso is the is the Messiah.
0: And he is super hitting on the eyes like yeah. loads. Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. he definitely wants to use she, his legs. She so eaves the run shit out of now him. She, now, she's, <laughs> now she's out of his league you can see. <laughs> she makes
0: him eat that apple hard. <laughs> it's very clearly an Adam and Eve moment. Um, and there's also, I can't remember if it's in this one or one of the other ones that somebody talks about the serpent and eating the apple and that having been done. It is this one. So, um, so we're back to another, like they couldn't just convince him on his own to betray them. They had to get the super hot blind chick to betray uh, betray God first. And she's a believe. No, is she a believer? No, she isn't. Is she? No, she's sort of agnostic. No, she's just agnostic. So she's not as hard. But then, you know.
6: But then eyes is more impressive than legs. So, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, like, she's got a better cell.
0: Now that, now that she can see, he's super willing to do anything for her, including betraying his family. <laughs> is she the vegetarian in the movie?
6: There's, that, uh, I like there's how that.
0: You're really super identified. There's that line.
6: There's that line where Spino goes. Uh, oh, yeah, no, she is yeah she, she's like, I'm vegetarian, and he gets all like shitty about it and says, "I didn't fight my way to the top of the food chain to chew on a cucumber." And It's like, but an apple. <laughs> 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 now an apple, I could go for. Thing is,
0: but then she says she hates plants, well, and that never came up again.
6: The so. Book of Genesis <laughs> never stipulates that it's an apple. It just says it's a fruit. Right? Uh, so it could be a cucumber. A cucumber is technically a fruit. I
0: like the dance. Now, if it was a tomato, that'd be a little messy. Then that, that would get that would get more debatable. How many tomatoes can dance on the head of a pen? Um, but um yeah, it's it's again, like it's just the the sort of what I was saying about about my the thing that really goes wrong for me is that they could balance these characters more if they tried. But they really don't try. If they tried or if they were better writers, I mean, if maybe they did try, I don't yeah. know. I mean, if they the if thing. they this did, is,
6: this is someone saying this is good enough. <laughs>
0: good for them. Good for them. But it's just, yeah, it's it's places like that where where it's just absolutely just conflicting everything at its core that that throws me out of it, and that that makes me just have to make fun of it if I am going to say as well. Like, I think. I think it bears saying that it's not just the content of these films that makes them laughable. It's not. It's the way that they have no through line and don't even stand on their own convictions. That's what what makes them easy to laugh at.
6: They are amateurishly made, and the entire quality of the films can be summed up by the line, amateurs built the... Uh, arc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they put a lot of faith in just like believing you can do it.
0: But professionals <laughs> built Titanic, and that made like a billion at the box office.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the <laughs> highest grossing movie of all time for years.
0: <laughs> Wrong, Cameron. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think it's important to point that out, though, because I think I think you know it's all well and good to poke fun at the tenets of the, of the film being what they are, but really the thing that makes them open to that kind of critique is the fact that they veer so wildly over the road in a way that I just it just doesn't say they have the courage of their convictions and I think that's what opens them up for this kind of criticism.
6: Well, I, I think it's also that you've got people like if you cast a net out and you're like, who wants to make uh like a sort of a one point two million dollar movie that's super, super hardcore Christian and we're not going to spend very much of it on actors. And also we've already written the script like you're just not going to get that many people being like, oh, yeah, no, I you know you're not going to get Oscar-nominated DPs filming this kind of
5: thing.
0: Well, but on that, I want to go, uh, when we get to Margot Kidder, I want to talk about how she feels about the film when we get there, because I think that's important to to jump to as well at some point
5: i want to talk real quick about the macguffin of this film which is a cd rom maybe that is being passed around with no sort of protection no sleeve or anything <laughs> yeah,
6: she's like oh yeah i keep it in here with my sandpaper
4: <laughs>
0: it's, it's i like the way everyone keeps forgetting it as well and like the actors on. really don't care like they were they were gonna do something they were gonna have a prop they couldn't figure out the prop, so they just smacked a label on the cover of a cd and the actors were like is this it yeah no this is it and so yeah. the actors are just throwing it around and do we,
6: and do we have have to hold it carefully like by the edge no just grab it just grab it with greasy fingers (laughs) there was a um there was a tv show in the uk i don't know if it ever made it over to the states called tomorrow's world which was like a a tv show about up-and-coming tech and exciting futuristic uh, equipment and it's probably where i first heard about vr but it's also where i first heard about cds and i remember them talking about the fact that they were basically indestructible and they demonstrated this by taking a box cutter to the back of one and then smearing peanut butter on it before putting it in the machine and playing it quite
0: quite <laughs> <laughs> well but didn- in this one I was quite impressed by the guy who just smashed it with his hand was that
6: uh, no it's a three and a half inch floppy disk bad Spino crushes the bad floppy disk with his hand once once later. Spino's gone evil he takes the takes the the, the fake floppy disk out of Farhi's hand and crushes it smashes it yeah all of
0: his, his <laughs> hatred for the haters. his
6: devil strength
0: I really enjoyed the label. Again, I'm very big on labels in this movie. The label printed on the CD cover, as well as the um, as well as the menu screens. Uh,
6: I like Spino's screensaver, the hacker at work screensaver. Oh, so good.
0: <laughs> I remember when I used to build my own screensavers, a pixel at a time. Um, remember flying toasters? That that's what this that's, that's a time, a simpler time that this film brought me back to.
6: I wish the VR space had had flying toasters in the background. Oh, he jumps on one
5: and starts riding it. Woohoo!
6: <laughs> <laughs> if I had one of these, I'd never leave the house. <laughs>
5: and um, We have one of my favorite things in this whole movie, which is when they're trying to, they've got the the good program and the blank disc and they're putting it in there and they're running this program and they're trying to upload something. And of course, we get got the progress bar. My favorite thing in the whole world is that Spino comes in and grabs the monitor and s- tries to smash it. The monitor, which is not connected at all to anything we've clearly seen, still has a picture on it. And that. He thinks that by smashing the monitor, you're stopping the program. That always just gets me.
0: Now I just think it's this is one of the points that you guys need to know that these movies are actually sent from the future and it's it's about the wireless technology the in-monitor hard drives that we have now they accidentally left them in well, in the production design
6: this was set in the near future like it's not meant to be now because then it doesn't work like yeah, it has they, to be post-rapture near future sci-fi yeah, It is. was
0: filmed now and I then they sent it back to the past
6: but they've got they've got hand full body tracking in VR wireless VR helmets. It's like, the
0: wireless VR helmet. I just I like the idea that, that they went they went wireless. Man, they went wireless from day one. Yeah, they said I don't want to be tethered to a computer. Uh,
6: at the time of recording, savaging, we have had of. proper seven axis wireless VR for about two months in, <laughs> in the world. <laughs>
0: Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely oh, it's it's incredible. I want to live in this world. I want to live in this wireless everything world. Oh, we do.
6: I like when he shoots the monitor with two guns. Oh yeah, he's doing a Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, in an in an, just standing there like a like a tubby Hawaiian Caucasian <laughs> Hawaiian shirted <laughs> Chow Yun Fat. That's
0: Spino. <laughs> I'm just talking about Spino.
6: But they. But, but the thing is, when Spino goes evil, when Spino takes the mark and gets his gets the use of his legs, they're like. But now he's taken the mark. He's kind of evil, right? Bad speed. And the writers are like, "Yeah, but we've already kind of written him as a dick. Like he's a he's an ableist (laughs) sexual predator." (laughs) Like, how do we make him worse? Have him shoot his own dog. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Elvis.
0: Oh, Poor Elvis. The Elvis. And they've called him Elvis because they know that all Christians love Elvis. called Elvis because
6: the dog is really called Elvis.
0: Is that true? Yep.
6: Elvis the dog as himself. Elvis oh, feel- played by himself. Nice. Do you yeah. think Elvis
0: belonged to one of the filmmakers then?
6: Oh, I'm absolutely certain. In the same way that I think a lot of the locations be- belong to the actual filmmakers. And children. <laughs>
5: So we end the film with uh, the Day of Wonders has been postponed. Uh, MacAluso gets on Aww. TV and starts talking about the haters and just how horrible they are. And then we've got Stone, uh, the Jeff Fahey character, looking at a picture of his wife and daughter and then looks up to the heavens. And he no longer believes in aliens. Now he believes in God. So all is right with the world.
0: Um I'm, I'm just imagining Donald Trump going on Twitter and being like we're postponing the day haters or or suck it's like it just it reads like a it, the the movie's synopsis reads like a Trump tweet.
6: The last scene is all of the haters that were in the furnace that were made special and fireproof by the hand of God that so Macaluso's left-hand man puts all of the uh, puts the haters uh, including Fahi, in the um in the furnace, and, and turns it up, and it doesn't burn them. So he's like, more fire will burn them. So he turns it up further to burn down building levels. When it still doesn't work, he's like, goddamn it, I'll do it myself, and opens the door, thus immediately consuming himself in fire.
0: <laughs> Which is why I was surprised he was so spry in the next one. Actually, there's no real. I mean, it it's seems like for left hand
6: by number three. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a different left hand because the left hand in number. Oh no, it's the left hand number four is the ball guy with the matrix glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's got a he's got a different like general each time. See,
0: again, going back to the hypocrisy, it would it would very much feel like the fire not burning them is God intervening directly and proving his existence. Yeah, he does
6: because he also does that with the with the computer program when they're uploading the virus. Um Spino finds the computer that has the disk in it, manages to eject the disk, and it still uploads the last like three percent without him and then even when he pulls the monitor off, it's still working i that's why I think the monitor doesn't disc like with the wire gone, the monitor's still working because the hand of God is making sure that this virus goes up
0: i like that I like that their version of God is sort of like. No, it's like, it's like a a mom at a child's birthday party who's sort of drunk on white wine where the kids are all sort of beating each other up and some of them are asking for help. And she's ignoring them right on up until they kill each other, at which point, at which point she sort of grabs somebody's back and she's like, not so, not so fast, you. (laughs) Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a really laissez faire god going on here. He's just like, oh, fuck, just, well, well, I'm not going to let you burn.
6: There's a whole bit in the middle of this that we've gone over. I let all those
0: kids blow up. But I'm not going to let you guys
6: burn. We've, yeah, just blow up the bus. That's fine. Black flag <laughs> lunatics. The, the, there's a whole bit in the middle of this that we've kind of glossed over where Fahi is demanding proof and Helen is like, yeah, no, you can't have proof. You can't have proof because uh, if God gave you proof, you wouldn't need faith and it's like so what who cares about faith give me proof this is ridiculous Faith is bullshit <laughs> knock over a cup <laughs> yeah <laughs> knock over this cup this cup that will still have just enough Jesus magic in it but later on it will trip up the newly belegged Spino
5: <laughs> no no it's uh, it's the newly cited uh, Carol Alt she steps around the cup
6: she, she, she steps around the cup but later Spino actually trips over oh he does it. that's how they get away from it yeah that's how they manage to escape him
5: <laughs> god that cup is so important <laughs>
0: I like the idea that the script supervisor on set, whenever anybody had any questions about like continuity being missed or like an angle not working, if they just if they just God's plan.
6: I'm terribly sorry. Could you have a little bit of faith, please, in the <laughs> filmmakers? Just uh, as much faith as mustard seen, if you can have uh, that much faith in the
5: filmmakers. <laughs> Do you think they were waiting for that cup to get picked up by one of the janitors, and he just never showed up because <laughs> he, just he was never raptured? showed
0: up? Has <laughs> <laughs> anybody seen uh, anybody seen uh, Pete?
6: That's why the uh, the disguise is so like they're like oh my god a service guy we are very happy to see you
0: here. <laughs> we are so excited when
6: Fahi dresses up as a janitor and breaks into despite the fact the they already an undercover
0: guy in yeah
6: they've already got a guy on the inside and it's like no 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 let me dress up as a janitor please <laughs> <laughs> I need to go and hack into a small box in a kitchenette
0: that, that did have another one of my favorite lines where they say I don't know what we're looking for we'll just have to see it look at everything yeah it's like because they don't know what's on the disk so they're just going to break in and look. for... For everything, yeah. wow,
5: they're sure. gonna they're gonna blowtorch some wires. <laughs> yeah, that scene with them in the oven um, is just—I love that it-
0: again. Concentration camp.
5: Yes, Christ, that is yeah, that is tasteless.
6: A a, a black Sorry. lady singing Amazing Grace in what is ostensibly a gas chamber
5: is problematic <laughs> i love that we never get a shot of her we only get the shot from inside the the gas chamber essentially looking at parker's eyes and him going nuts on the outside we never get his pov shot of inside and what's happening it's like no we massively have to save on the special effects budget oh here. absolutely yeah, definitely
6: budget when you when you see the fire tracked into that little view window in the door it is interlaced there is... It's th- definitely
0: bad digital effect.
6: <laughs> there is interlaced video artifacting on the video in that window.
0: <laughs> this is the same one where they nonsense no it's later it's the fourth one where they burn down the condo for no reason
6: oh yeah uh, no that's yeah number four is is uh, burning down but the condemned like condo. four,
0: they get their pyros in order on this one it was still just like cgi fire a little bit of after effects you know just like really early
6: uh i think it's yeah it's mostly it's sort of like composited fire on this one and then by number four they have like one real pyro effect and one really shoddy cgi pyro effect
0: oh it's just so good it's just <laughs> although they do
6: genuinely burn that massive cross in this one So they've used up all their gasoline on that, I
4: guess.
5: (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to take a break and play an interview with the director of three of these four films, Andre Van Heerden, and we'll be back with that right after these brief messages.
1: Hi there, faithful Projection Booth listener, Chris Stashu here. If you're looking for even more deep-dive film discussion, both old and new, on and
5: off the cinematic beaten path, check out the Culture Cast.
7: Every episode, I'm joined by a different guest
1: as we traverse the cinema landscape talking about not only our monthly theme, but also some of the year's biggest films. I'm even joined by the host of the Projection Booth, the one and only Mike White. So if you want to listen to even more conversations on film, head on over to CultureCast.com or find it on all podcasts, both Android and iOS.
5: I am thrilled to introduce Ovid.tv, the new streaming service for arthouse films, documentaries, and international cinema. Described by the New York Times as a haven for indie gems, Ovid.tv features films such as Claire Denise's Trouble Every Day, Deborah Granick's Stray Dog, and Raul Ruiz's Time Regained. As a special introductory offer for Projection Booth listeners, you can save 50% off the first three months of your subscription. Just head on over to Ovid.tv. That's O-V-I-D Sign up with the coupon code PODCAST and you'll get Ovid.tv for just $3.50 per month for three months. The offer expires August 31st, so act now. You'll have access to hundreds of films not available on any other platform, which you can start streaming on all of your favorite devices, such as Apple TV and my personal favorite, the Roku. Once again, go over to Ovid.tv, ovi sign up with the coupon code PODCAST, and you'll get Ovid.tv for just $3.50 per month for three months. Act now.
7: Hello from Cinema Detroit. We are Metro Detroit's only truly independent cinema and also the only first-run, seven-day-a-week movie theater in greater downtown. We deliver an eclectic mix of mainstream art, indie, genre, cult, and classic movies in the heart of the city. Like a sommelier choosing wine or a DJ mixing a set, we handpick our slate of films, many of which are exclusive to the metro area, the state of Michigan, or the entire Midwest region. Cinema Detroit features a unique setting in a former furniture store and a warm neighborhood atmosphere, including always fresh popcorn, Detroit-made Fago soda, and other locally created treats. Please visit our website, cinemadetroit.org, for the latest features and showtimes. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you soon. At 4126 3rd Street in the city, 48201.
8: Hi, this is Andrew from We Hate Movies, and you're listening to the projection booth. If you feel like laughing after listening to some serious film discussion, head on over to our show, WHMPodcast.com. Every Tuesday, a new episode drops us ragging on bad movies, whereas the good folks here at the projection booth are talking about good. Party cinema related stuff. Go here for the cinema. Come to us for the laughs afterwards. We hate movies every Tuesday.
5: How did you get interested in film and how did you know that you wanted to become a filmmaker?
8: So I've always had a huge interest in storytelling. Uh, I think I get it from my dad, who's always been a very animated and engaging storyteller. And so when I was growing up, I was a bit of a guinea pig for him in high school. He was a guidance counselor and he used me for some new aptitude tests that they were just introducing. And I remember when I was doing uh, these aptitude tests that uh, it said that I was best suited according to my interests, according to my uh, level of schooling and things like that either as a university professor or as a film director. And uh, because I was just in high school at the time, I thought, wow, that's kind of neat and never put any real stock in it, especially for a film director. It seemed being in small town, Ontario, Canada, that it was something that wouldn't really happen. But when I uh, graduated from university with a degree in combined honors, journalism and English, I came away with a documentary that I'd made on the effects of video games on children. and So I had used some of my schooling and university degree to fulfill a little bit of that uh, dream and aptitude of doing some sort of storytelling. This happened to be a documentary. I then uh, was looking for new work and found a uh, company called This Week in Bible Prophecy. And it was a news-based show, weekly show, half hour, that looked at events around the world um whether it was to do with earthquakes or wars or the Middle East or um whatever it happened to be changes in the weather and related it to prophecies in the Bible. And uh it's lined up very much with uh with my worldview and it lined up with my interest in storytelling and working on a TV series and my background in uh journalism and particularly in uh video work. And uh I happened in a weird way to be in the right place at the right time because The company, This Week in Bible Prophecy, was also involved in a whole bunch of other stuff. And about a month after I was hired as a low man on the totem pole just to help out on set or to log video footage, news footage from around the world, the company realized that they were really losing money in every one of their ventures, except really in the video aspect. But they were in some financial difficulties, so they ended up letting everyone go, the writers, the directors, the producer, everyone, and basically handed over to the very low-paid new guy and said, hey, you said you could uh, do this stuff? Here you go. So it was suddenly me doing a half-hour weekly news show pretty much on my own, writing, directing, producing, and then working with the talent and getting it out there. And so it was a real trial-by-fire. I really enjoyed it. The shows were really interesting, and we had a lot of... uh interesting uh, news footage from around the world that we could use. When we started doing that, we started doing more documentaries. And so I did a documentary on the evidence that God exists. I did a documentary on, specifically on end Town's prophecies, did another one on new technologies and how they're changing the world and virtual reality. And this is way back, going many years back, even before virtual reality was a, a, a thing. The producers were also the, um, or the executive producers were also the hosts of the show, uh, Peter and Paul Londe. They were going a little tired of doing the news show, but were interested more on the documentary side and then on doing an actual feature film. And uh, so they looked to me to help them with that. I didn't direct it, but I was I'm doing all the post-production work and a lot of the on-set work. And we produced the movie Apocalypse, uh, which technically is the first movie in that that series. It's not one that I uh, will rush out to show a lot of people. (laughs) It did very well for us, and we uh, marketed it very well. But it's not the height of uh, filmmaking. We were learning, and we were working with a lot of other people who were learning. And we had a very, very low budget we use what we knew which was bible prophecy and we knew uh stock footage very well from all of our uh, tv shows and uh we made a story about what we knew and the world that we knew and uh it did well and it did well enough that we were able to finance the next movie in the series called revelation for that one they asked me to direct because they had had me do a lot of other stuff before and that was my first real chance to uh Kind of complete the circle from that initial aptitude test back in high school.
5: <laughs> when was the first time that you met Peter and Paul Lalonde? Because you worked with them for so many years.
8: Back in 1990, oh, I want to say 94. Yeah, it would have been uh, December 1994. I had done a, a little bit of uh, freelance work uh, straight out of uh, Carleton University. Um, again, some video work and a little bit of writing. And then that was my first real job out of, uh, out of university. And, uh, like I said, I was hired really, I think because of my background in journalism. Um, we got a raw, unfiltered, unedited news footage from Reuters every single day. And so I was able to identify who the leaders were, who the political people were, and really just log it. So when they needed a shot, a shot of Assad or a shot of Netanyahu or, um, something to do with earthquakes, I'd be able to quickly find the footage and put it into the show. Yeah, as I said, it just kind of worked out that it turned into a very long and good relationship with the brothers, and I uh, really appreciated the opportunity, and it just kept growing from there.
5: Revelation that you directed, it was its just like a quantum leap of quality and storytelling and all these things. Not to, to denigrate uh, Apocalypse, but just It was such a sea change when it came to Revelation, and I imagine that there had to have been a significant increase in budget to go from even just the video look to actually shooting on film.
8: Yeah, absolutely. So the brothers, Peter and Paul Alon, they had a lot of different skills, but one of their biggest skills was in marketing. They really found a niche audience that was very interested in Bible prophecy, and they went to a lot of prophecy conferences and things like that. And they were able to figure out much to their credit because, uh, filmmaking is extremely difficult and financing films is even more difficult. As difficult as to make a movie, financing movies is even more difficult. And they were able to find a way to work with other prophecy partners, people who are interested in that world to say, Hey, if you're part of this movie, you can pre-buy at that time it was VHS copies. I mean, this is going way back, you can pre-buy those. We'll use it to finance the movie. So when it comes out, you get it as a discount, you sell it to your audience, you get a cameo in these movies, and it's all sharing the same message that we believe in. So they were able to pre-finance the movie in a very unique way, something that I haven't seen since, kind of really going and working with partners. And then in terms of revelation, one of the biggest step-ups was just being able to hire actual name actors, people who could bring something more to the film and uh, to their performances. And so we paid more than, well, Jeff A. who was the lead on uh, Revelation, and he's not a household name, but you recognize him. He's someone like, oh, I've seen him in this or this or this. His salary was more than the entire budget of Apocalypse, which isn't saying that much because it's an extremely low-budget uh, movie. Um, and he wasn't getting paid, you know, millions or anything like that. But it was a significant jump for us. But what we found was by just adding that name, as well as Nick Mancuso and Carol Alt, very pretty face, along with a kind of a, a known solid actor, actors, we were suddenly able to get foreign sales. And uh, foreign sales was something that we could never really get with Apocalypse. It just didn't translate. They were looking for. To be very frank, a pretty-faced woman and a known guy, and Jeff had done a lot of science fiction, and he'd done a lot of westerns. Both translate very well in the foreign market, and so they were like, "Yeah, we're interested in Jeff. We're interested in Carol Alt, and Nick Mancuso's done Under Siege and Stingray, and so he's known as well too. We'll buy it." And so suddenly, those extra salaries were more than covered the extra expense on the uh, the acting side. So, the brothers were really smart in terms of putting the financing together. It was still a low-budget movie. Still under a million for um, uh, for 35 million uh, 35 millimeter film, which is what we were shooting on at the time, which is pretty remarkable. And we were able to hire a fellow who really helped us up the game. Uh, His name's George Turrell, and he was our cinematographer. And he was someone who had seen and really enjoyed Apocalypse, so it was a bit of a calling card for us. But when he called, he said, "Hey, you know, I really loved it. I want to work with you guys." And uh, and I can really help you, um, you know, step up the game in terms of working with film and setting up the lights and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was really kind of a real good bringing together of a lot of different skill sets. And uh, yeah, it was a special project.
5: What was that like for you, though, to go from doing primarily documentary work and news work into actually directing performances?
8: It was a huge leap. It was something that I was very nervous about. However, when uh, when I was talking to George Turrell, the cinematographer, and he, had some, he was someone who had worked with Yanis Kaminsky and had uh, worked with Patrick Sleazy and Drew Barrymore, he had been someone on major film sets and had uh, worked with very high-level actors and directors, he was able to um, give me a lot of good advice. And the one piece of advice was, it's storytelling. And uh, when in talking and stuff, he said, you tell a good story. So for each scene... You have to figure out what is the story in that little scene, in that little moment, and then how does it work in the bigger moments? So I took that to heart. And then the other piece of advice was really from Nick Mancuso, uh, who's a uh, very well-known uh, Canadian actor and fairly well-known in, on the international stage. It has a bit of a reputation of being um, challenging to work with. I got along well with him and he gave me some real advice uh, on how to, you know, bring out uh, the actors and, what I found was if you've done your casting well, if you have found someone who you believe can fill that role, then you need to listen to them and you need to trust them and you're guiding them and directing them, but you shouldn't be having to correct anything because you've chosen that person for a reason. Um, And you need to trust your instincts of your casting in that first place. So, Certainly there was mistakes. There are certain things that I look at and I like, oh, I wish I could have done differently or wish we'd done this uh, differently. But it was a, a real learning experience and one that I'll cherish.
5: Ultimately, the Lalonde brothers were credited as writers on Revelation and you were credited as director. But what was the working relationship like with them as the writers and you directing this? Did you have a hand in the writing as well? Because I know ultimately you have written a bunch of stuff.
8: I had written a bunch of stuff. This one was primarily them, primarily uh, Paul Lalonde. I had insight into uh, certain scenes and certain lines. I'll, uh, I'll gladly say, yeah, that was my line or whatever. But the actual writing was very much uh, Paul Walland on that one. After that one, I became a bit more involved in some of the other uh, films and very much involved in other ones where I um, actually wrote the screenplays. But on that one, it was very much of here's the script, which I really liked and some of the scenes in there, uh, in particular the glass of water scene, is still one of my favorites. I so thought it was very uh, clever that uh, it was a script that I was very comfortable working with. It was something that I understood. And uh, to be honest, I, I felt enough over my head at that point that I was, uh, I was willing to let other people uh, teach and guide at that time.
5: What was it like moving on to Tribulation? And what was it like, I have to ask, working with Gary
8: Busey? Each of the movies had its different challenges, and each of them for me was a different focus. So on the first one, it was, and I don't want to downplay it too much, but it was almost like a a traffic cop or as a coach, and I do a lot of coaching of sports, make sure I get my day, make sure I'm staying within budget, uh, make sure that the story makes sense, all those sorts of things. When I hit tribulation, I really took a lot of notes of how could I improve? What could I do differently? And so one of the things was trying to work more on the performances and more on the creative elements and the little nuances. The budget was a little bit more, so it gave me a little bit more time. Still, the days were very full, so I couldn't go overboard. I couldn't suddenly get carried away with anything. There was restrictions there. So a different focus, different set of challenges. One of those challenges was working with a very different cast. Gary Busey is, uh, is uh, well, I'll use the term infamous for outrageous sort of behavior. And as I've told many people, what you see is what you get. That it is, it is not an act. When you see me with Busey or him on The, the Apprentice, uh, the think yeah, The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice, that's not an act. That's Gary. He, uh, he comes by, I think, honestly, through a life including the, uh, which included a major head trauma. Um, so I think that has affected him and he's uh, been through some tough times. But genuinely, a guy with a good heart. To this day, we remain friends. To this day, he, he probably wouldn't, like if you asked him, hey, what was it like working with Andre? He probably wouldn't remember if you said, what was it like working with Sweet Pea? he would know exactly who you're talking about he for some reason called me one day sweet pea and um because uh we were discussing something and we had a picture taken together and he put underneath uh, gary b and his longtime friend sweet pea and for whatever reason it's it stuck in his mind and so whenever i call him i have to kind of all my pride and say it's Andre, and he probably he said, oh I don't know who, and then and then I say Sweepy, and he said, oh Sweepy, good to hear from you. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's it's one of those things. He is a very good actor. He is someone who fills the screen. uh If you've seen him in uh, Lethal Weapon or Under Siege, I think there's a reason why he's often cast as the antagonist. I think he's got that kind of extra edge to him that makes him kind of the baddies that you love to hate we cast him as a protagonist which was a challenge because he is this bigger than life sort of personality and uh when he's acting he's a force he he can really uh bring it so that was something that we had to work on uh on daily and his personality polar opposites to nicole kidman polar opposite to uh Haim Mendel, So a very, very different eclectic cast.
5: You mentioned virtual reality before. Did you bring that to the party when it came to the Apocalypse series? Because I know it wasn't there necessarily in the first one, but definitely in the latter parts that you directed.
8: So Revelation, it was, you know, the it was a day of wonders. It was the um, mystery that was being rolled out. So certainly within our research, and I'm a firm believer that if you're going to write a good script, it doesn't start with anything but research. Um, if you don't do the proper research, and I mean firsthand, in-depth research, you end up with cliches and stuff that you've seen a thousand times over. And I think that's why a lot of Westerns feel like it's the same sort of movie, because if I was going to write a Western, I would base it on all the Westerns I've seen, which I love, but they, it would be based on what I've seen in other movies. It wouldn't be based on actual historical research. And so we benefited in knowing that post-apocalyptic, prophetic world very well, and something to do with the mark of the beast and the virtual reality, it just seemed to lend itself very well to each other. And so that was one of the uh, the big plot devices uh, that we had brought, and that research that we had done while working on This Week in Bible Prophecy uh, paid off.
5: Around this same time, the Lalonde brothers and and you were involved with the Left Behind series. How does that kind of play out as far as Left Behind happening at the same time as things like Tribulation and Judgment? Because I know that you had also
8: you wrote what part three of the Left Behind series. It's a little bit of the uh, DC universe and the Marvel universe. It's the same world, but uh, just different different takes on it. When we had done Revelation, it's arguably the first kind of bigger-budget real movie that was done with a Christian-themed post-apocalyptic world. At that time, there was what, what we had called church-basement movies. There was a lot of the church-basement movies that were very low-quality apocalypse would fit in that world, shot on video, no-name actors, made specifically just for the kind of Christian audience. Revelation was our attempt to really make it a movie for anyone, whether they're interested in science fiction or whatever. And I was amazed at the places and calls that we were getting from different magazines and different places where suddenly there was reviews of these movies and there were horror magazines, gore magazines, science fiction stuff that I never would have thought they would be interested in this movie. But because of the subject matter and that kind of post-apocalyptic world, it totally fit. Reaching the kind of unchurched, non-Christian audience, we were able to do it with that movie. What we didn't realize was that right around that time, just after Revelation, and certainly while we were shooting Tribulation, there was uh, two guys, Bobby Mutes and um, Joe Goodman. They had optioned the rights to Left Behind, um, this popular, but not extremely popular when it first came out, Left Behind book. And when they had optioned it, there was just one book, and it was doing fairly well. Then it just blew up. They had got the rights before it became extremely popular. And there was, you know, book two and three and four and five and six. And it just kept going. So they were looking to produce the movie. They were looking to produce it at, you know, a $40 million budget level, starting grand Pitt, And they went to the studios and the studios weren't interested. Too evangelical, not what they do. So they shopped it around, shopped it around. And there were two guys in Kentucky who had no experience in filmmaking. So it was a really... Tall task for anyone to try to get a movie going. Even if they were Spielberg, it would have been difficult to try to get that going. Honestly, it was just something that the Hollywood world wouldn't know what to do with. Quite frankly, probably wouldn't want to deal with. They shot around, the shot around, and eventually came to us as the only guys who were producing quality on film. Christian themed movies and happened to be similarly themed in terms of dealing with a post apocalyptic world. So they knew where our heart was. They knew what we were trying to do. They had a similar heart. And so, um, they came to the set, actually were on the set of Tribulation and visited us there and, uh, were able to make the deal while on set and seeing what we were doing and how we'd stepped up our game a little bit from Revelation to Tribulation to make the deal partnering with us to make, uh, Left Behind. So, in terms of the chronological order of productions, it went apocalypse, revelation, tribulation, left behind, then judgment, then tribulation force, and then left behind world at war. So there was a real jump, um, in terms of the, uh, the years from I wrote judgment, I think in 2001, and we, I think we produced it right around there. 2001, Left Behind World at War, the third in the Left Behind series, wasn't until 2005, I believe. So there was a bit of a jump, and there was other productions and documentaries and uh, that other stuff in between. But yeah, that's how it kind of worked into it.
5: There are certain things that I see in your films, in the Left Behind films, and in, in other quote-unquote rapture films, and they follow some of the same beats as far as... The rapture happens and then an antichrist comes in and i'm curious as far as why do these stories follow the same plot as far as is that coming from
8: the bible is there like are those parts of the bible yeah it's it's very much from the bible and we got we got that question asked a lot from people there are different interpretations as to the order of prophecy from the research we've done and from the reading that I've done, so certainly well more versed than, than a lot of people, um, having lived in this world, that it lines up the most, it's the most literal interpretation of the Bible. Not the virtual reality stuff, but to do with the timing of, okay, there's going to be an increase of wars, there's going to be an increase in uh, strange weather, there's going to be an increase in earthquakes. There's going to be an increase, and it's not one of these happening in isolation because there's always been earthquakes or there's always been wars, but it's not these things happening in just one area or in at one time, but increasing at a great. In the Bible, it draws an analogy that everyone understands. It says it's like um, uh, a woman being in labor, that it starts off slowly and then it gets more and more intense, and then it leads to this lead up to a world war, and then it's at that point that a cataclysmic event, the vanishing, the disappearance of millions and millions, hundreds of millions of believers disappear. And in that turmoil, um, there's a term called uh, ruling by chaos or taking advantage of uh, catastrophes. It's the Antichrist that steps in. and But he doesn't say, hey, I'm the Antichrist, I'm Satan incarnate. Um, he steps in as this great man of peace. And what he says is, hey, I can bring world peace, I can help you through this very difficult situation, and I'll prove it to you by doing what no one else has been able to do. I'll uh, usher in a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East. And anyone today would say, well, that's ridiculous, it's never going to happen. You have one side that's sworn, we will never rest until you're gone, and the other side saying, this is our land, we're never moving. And so he brings in an actual real peace because everyone believes it. But at the th- at the right at the midpoint of that three and a half years in, he suddenly reveals this very different side of himself, introduces the mark of the beast, and it says you can't buy or sell without this mark. And going back many years, even possible that technology didn't exist. Wow, well, you look at technology today and cash disappearing and everything online, and you know your phone is your connection. you have uh, microchips now that would very easily be able to and in many cases are being fitted under the skin. You you could have it today, and certainly in terms of the knowledge of who believes what online, if someone looks at, you know, what I do, for example, they could know for sure, okay, conservative, Christian, you know, where I live, they know for sure what I'm going to believe or how I think. So certainly ushers in that kind of post-apocalyptic or introduction to the post-apocalyptic big brother government type world that you know the Bible prophesies. So yeah, the reason that it's uh, very much the same is because it's say, all taken from the same source.
5: When you originally uh, started to approach Revelation, did you guys already have in your mind this is going to be a, a trilogy, or did you kind of say, let's see how this first one does, and so then see if we can carry on with it?
8: Very much of a, let's just make the best movie we possibly can. When we did Apocalypse, if the production budget was one dollar, the marketing budget was five dollars. They really focused on the market marketing and how to get it out there, and it really paid off. As we produced more and more movies, the production budgets came up and the marketing budgets came down, and I think a little bit to our detriment because when the marketing budgets fall off, people don't know about it, and even though the movies, by my estimation, were getting better and better and better. The sales weren't necessarily reflecting that, and at the end of the day, it's an entertainment business. If you're not being profitable on your last movie, you're not making another movie, at least not with your own money. One of the big um, rules of filmmaking is don't use your own money to make these movies, but we were because the previous movies had done well enough that we could. So the success of Apocalypse funded the success of Judgment, funded the success the the next movie of Tribulation, which funded. Judgment and Left Behind was the biggest success of them all. You need to be able to deliver on that front, and marketing is certainly a, a big part of that. So um, no, we, we hadn't planned to do uh, to do sequels at, at the time that we were doing Revelation. Corbin
5: Bernson, for people who are our age, we all remember him as being a lawyer on LA Law. What was it like directing him as a lawyer, having him return to that role for Judgment?
8: <laughs> something I said earlier, you know, if you cast the role properly, 75% of your work is done as a, as a director. And uh, Corbin is one of the, my my best experiences in terms of directing, especially on a personal side. Corbin came onto the set as someone who asked a ton of questions about his character. He really wanted to know about his character, really asked the same questions that you're asking. Is this really in the Bible? This is really prophesied? It lines up. And so, every day we had a question and answer period about this. And in fact, some of the stuff he brought and his questions ended up actually in the script um, because I had written it and I was encouraging him to own the role and to take it on. And he was like, well, you know, I'm asking these questions. I'm putting God on trial. If I was really putting God on trial, this is what I would ask. This is the problem I have with God. And he was coming from, I don't want to say an uh, agnostic or atheistic point of view but he certainly wasn't a believer and so he was asking very real very honest personal questions and i am a believer and so i believe there are answers to all those questions and if you are approaching with an honest mind and you're honestly looking for answers not just what supports your worldview but honestly will allow that there could be truth to these answers um it can change your life and so uh i mean he was asking those questions we put them (laughs) i wrote them some of the questions he's asking um, in that courtroom of the Christian Helen or of the Antichrist were his. And uh, conversely, same thing with the defense attorney, Jessica Steen, who is a wonder to work with. She was wonderful. Both of them brought a lot to those roles. And certainly being uh, Arnie Becker, LA Law, because you knew he could pull it off. You knew he's just so believable. You see him and you're like, yeah, absolutely. He's that lawyer. And some of his performances, uh, especially in the the jail scenes and in the courtroom scenes, there's something to look back on and, you know, I'm not that happy with. Those ones, I'm like, wow, I'm so happy with the performances we got.
5: What was it like working with Mr. T?
8: Mr. T is one of the sweetest guys. He obviously uh, was uh, not long um, after A-Team and growing up with the A-Team, you know, I was starstruck. It was interesting on set. The crew that I work with, a very experienced Toronto crew, Grip Scaffers set design, they had, you know, worked with Tom Cruise and uh, Julia Roberts. Uh, These people do not get starstruck uh, because they've seen everyone and uh, worked with just about everyone. And yet somehow they were starstruck by Mr. T because even though he wasn't this, you know, Oscar winning actor, even though he wasn't this big name person, uh, he came on set and people started humming the 18 theme. Da, 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 da. And then the whole the whole crew would pick it up. And he and when he laughs and he he found this hilarious. When he laughs for such a big kind of imposing guy and he still had the mohawk and the chains and all the rest, he covers his mouth uh, in a very polite way and turns away, laughing like a little old kid. Like it's really cute. And he's so polite. He he wasn't well at the time that we were uh shooting with him. He was dealing with uh cancer and so he never once complained with uh longer days or anything like that. I do have to say that uh it was very evident after meeting him and realizing the BA Barakas, the uh club of Lang that you see is him. He speaks in that very gruff way. So my character that I had written would deliver a line, was supposed to deliver a line like there's something happening in the courtroom. You but you got to go check it out right now. And it changed into, you got to go right now. Like it, it was just, everything became a lot puncher and a lot shorter. And it was, how would Mr. T say this? And so the JT character became Mr. T. It wasn't a case of Mr. T trying to be that character. It was who he was. There were certain things that like he came on set and he said, there's, uh, Mr. T, he don't he would talk about himself in the third person, which was funny. He, he, he would say, "Mr. T, you don't do rollerblading, you don't do love scenes." And I was like, "All right, we're good. I don't have your rollerblading, and we're not doing uh, love scenes, so you're, we're good." And so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great to work with him and uh, a really honest, lovable, kind individual. One of our crew members got hurt while we were filming. We didn't even know this. The next day, the guy, the crew member, was back on set and told us that Mr. T had gone and visited him in the hospital. And the guy was the biggest Mr. T fan of the entire crew, which is saying something. And he and he woke up in his in his uh, hospital room with Mr. T visiting him. So, yeah, he's a very genuine, real individual.
5: What are some of your favorite memories of working on these apocalypse films?
8: It's really the uh, the people. You probably get a sense of it. The the memories of working with the different actors, with the different crew, with George, the cinematographer, who was kind of my right-hand man through um, all of those uh, Apocalypse series films, um, except the, the first one. Those are great memories. And strangely enough, the real challenge is uh, something that no one else would know would be there's a story between behind not just every scene, but behind every single shot. Low-budget filmmaking is... We're super challenging. There is a challenge to do with every single shot, whether it's to do with the light or the weather or to do with the budget or to do with the set that's falling down or to do with animals on set or to do with noise. When you're working on a bigger budget, you can say, oh, we'll do it this next day or we'll push this off or money can say can solve a lot of problems. We had none of that. We had one take to do a car crash. We had one take to do an explosion. We had one take even to do any sort of fight sequence. It was, you just don't have the time. You don't have the luxury of trying to solve things different ways. So there's a lot of little scenes and shots that I would love it if they were done differently. But I can tell you why they weren't. Because at the time, we wanted to do it another way or we we're trying to do it another way. But we, we couldn't. We had to do it this way because there was other... Things in, in play. Some of the one take scenes, it's not because it was suddenly, hey, uh, artistic vision, we're going to do one take. It was because we're running out of light and we have no time to get anything else. Go. There's a motif all the way through. The world government has this pyramid symbol that's all the way through in the background and everything. Well, when we were shooting Judgment, the joke was that we had a pyramid, like a physical sort of pyramid thing that would sit out there, but we could only afford two sides of it. So we could never shoot from the backside because it was hollow. <laughs> it's like, How can we not afford a third side to the stupid thing? And the crew was great because they said, look, we're saving money wherever we can. And if you're not shooting the back side of it, but of course it was like, well, I, w- I want to shoot the backside. So we had to go wade out into water and turn the stupid thing around so we could shoot the other side of it. So yeah, there's all these, kind of things that no one else would know that we're somehow dealing with something. And it's at this point, looking back, it's a fond memory because somehow um, we were able to get it and we still had those kind of what we call magic moments that just suddenly things would come together, whether it was a great performance or the light just seemed to hit just right, or we didn't have money for a wet down, which is wetting the street. So it looks all glistening, but suddenly it just rains. And so we get a natural sort of, wet down. And so there's always really kind of great moments that are just uh, really special. What are you up to these days? I'm working full time as a communications director for a multi-trade union, Christian Labour Association of Canada. It's a very different union, as the the name implies. We're not an evangelical organization. We don't um, share the gospel or anything like that. We do, however, base our labor relations upon Christian social principles, so fairness, equity, justice, and uh, we bring that to the workplace and uh, treat everyone fairly. And one of the biggest differences between us and, I'd say, just about every other union is that in treating everyone with fairness and respect— also means treating the employer with fairness and respect, not just the employees. It's a real kind of win-win approach to labor relations where if one side is doing well, the other side will also do well. I'm doing that as, uh, as a full-time job. However, I am still um, working within the entertainment uh, world. I'm still doing some writing for uh, some TV series as well as uh, a few features And then I'm also doing some voice direction for another uh, series. So it's nice that I have a very consistent, safe uh, paycheck and a job that I love. Um, It's also still nice that I get to uh, be uh, creative and work in that world of uh, entertainment.
5: It sounds like you have a lot of plates spinning all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, it's busy. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate this.
8: Uh, Thanks, Mike. If you have any other questions or anything uh, you can think of, uh, don't hesitate to ask.
5: An ancient evil
2: arises. We will reign. A family is torn apart.
1: Don't just dismiss what I'm saying.
2: And a struggling soul enters. That's your problem. You believe all that stuff is real. The Great Tribulation. Cloud 10 Pictures proudly presents Gary Busey. Howie Mandel, Margot Kidder, and Nick Mancuso in the inspiring biblical epic, Tribulation. In a world without mercy. A world filled with hate. O&E, show me your mark. Faith must stand alone. I'm not good at saying prayers. Tribulation. You know it's faith when it's all you have left
5: All right, we're back and we're talking about the Apocalypse Quartet and we're moving on to Tribulation. Now, spoiler alert, this is my favorite of all of these films. This is probably the one I've watched the most as in twice.
6: Yeah, this is uh, this is a pretty special one. I think Busey is a
5: high point for them.
6: But also any film that uh, starts with a Christian lady forcing a child to piss himself because she's doing some magic.
5: I kept waiting for the pissing to come back in this movie. I thought for sure that would have been a thing, Like especially because that character, Eileen, who later is played by Margot Kidder, she disappears from the movie and nobody can remember her except for Gary Busey and Howie Mandel. And I loved saying that Gary Busey and Howie Mandel are in this movie. But that I thought for sure, like, oh, don't you remember? That was the time you pissed yourself.
0: Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, is is the little brother Howie Mandel, or is the little brother the other guy? Because I thought Howie Mandel was Gary Busey's wife's brother. Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. Harry Mandel doesn't come back; doesn't come into the narrative until adult time. Yeah. So the two the two kids are Busey, dude, dude
0: who Busey kills earlier, and on.
6: and like heart attack from Macaluso in VR guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel like I've been super patient to talk about bananas and, <laughs> and salt water. And I feel like now is sort of my, my moment, and I just, I just, I I need, I'm going to put out to you guys what I heard them say, and I need you to help me unpick it a little bit, okay? Yep. According to Howie Mendel's character, in science, mon- monkeys are on an island and they don't recognize bananas in the peels. Is that the foundation of this argument that monkeys don't recognize bananas in peels?
6: I don't think the monkeys are interacting with the bananas at all on either side of the volcano that divides the island down the middle until the scientists on each side of the volcano decide to introduce bananas. But for some reason, the monkeys can't understand what the bananas are unless the scientists peel them, because they can't smell them, how he says.
0: Okay, so I'm just going to... Sure. (laughs) Because as we all know... It's the peel, works like a vacuum seal on a banana. Let me just, let me just, in case people haven't seen it, I just need to say what the, the gist of the story is, and then I need someone else to give me more details on it.
3: Let me ask you a question, Calvin. Have you ever heard of Dr. Emeril Fugimoto? Uh, no. Have you ever heard of the Isle of Manchi? No. <laughs> well, that's no accident. Sure, this may be one of the biggest discoveries in the history of this world, but the powers that be have worked really hard to keep it quiet.
2: What kind of discoveries, Jason?
3: Okay, listen to this. In one research project, they're on this island discovering the behavior of monkeys. Now this just isn't any island. No, this one's different. This one has a huge volcanic mountain dividing it right down the middle.
4: Jason!
3: Ah uh, yes, you couldn't get from one side to the other. Not without a helicopter, okay? Now these guys over here, okay, they're laying out pieces of food, all right, for the monkeys. Who wanted to come out of the trees onto the beach where they can see them and study their behavior. Now, the problems for the monkeys, of course, is that the fruit have to be peeled. Why? So they can smell it, okay? But they're on a beach, so monkeys are are eating more, more sand, more sand, because there's no peel, than they are bananas, right? Until, until one very smart monkey comes along, and he has an idea. He decides to take his banana and dip it in the ocean. And look, it works. Now, it doesn't take long for this to catch on, and before long, all the monkeys on the beach are dipping their bananas in the sea. All right. Okay. So, you know, what did he prove by that? Monkey see, monkey do? Oh, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Because one day, one more monkey comes along. He sees what all the other monkeys are doing, and he decides to give it a try. And what do you think happens when he does? Okay, it's incredible. At that very instant, All the monkeys over here, on this side of the island, they start doing it too. Really? Really. Not only that, all around the world, monkeys start doing it too. That's cool. cool. Oh, no, 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 it's not just cool, Tom, it's incredible. Think about the possibilities. If we can get enough people to think about world peace,
0: think about it. But why are the bananas on the ground?
6: Because the scientists don't care about monkeys. <laughs>
0: like, if they just put them on a table or something. I don't understand. Here's, here's
6: a fun thing uh, that goes in the face of religion. <laughs> bananas have, through selective breeding, a form of evolution, become <laughs> so high in sugar they can no longer be fed to monkeys and so monkeys in zoos get given plantains instead of bananas because bananas are too sugary for monkeys and in captivity now
0: well now i don't know what to think the
6: um the idea is and this is kind of the basis for the like just as the garden of eden was the basis of the second movie this one sort of plays with two things it's the the Tower of Babel which they kind of refer to a few times but doesn't seem to play too heavily into it
0: and they had a very terrible internal props making department at the ONE department which, which
6: demon made the Tower of Babel <laughs> was it the- <laughs> there's a there's a lot of uh, like tech like scut demons doing, doing like, all you know, doing all the the menial making work. But yeah, no. The idea is that on one side of the the volcano, where there's no communication between the two different gangs of monkeys, that one monkey teaches all the other monkeys specifically, like shows them, demonstrates to them how to dip a monkey and how to, di- how, to dip a, how to dip a banana in some seawater. And then when all of those monkeys know, that's enough monkeys to um for the other monkeys on the other side of the volcano to just automatically learn it out of nowhere because of a collective consciousness. And that is what uh Macaluso is saying and that goes into ends up going into the fourth movie as well about like we all need to just want world peace and then there'll be world peace. But actually it's we all need to be in league with the devil and then we win because everyone
0: will be in league. So but wait a minute, then shouldn't it be that all of the monkeys wanted clean bananas and suddenly thought spontaneously about how to wash the bananas at the same time
6: well no because i think they have to be working towards clean bananas and apparently salty wet bananas is as good (laughs) as monkeys deserve
0: I, oh man, I need like an aspirin.
6: My favorite moment in that whole scene, as fantastic as Harry Mandel ruining that breakfast is, (laughs) (laughs) he comes in and just smashes the the table, is how into the story Gary Busey is. (laughs) It's the first scene where we've got Gary Busey, and he is grinning like he's just found a massive part of
5: cocaine. But his reaction is just like, really? That's cool. Yeah. yeah, oh, I'm into this.
0: So this is this is my wife's slightly crazy brother. We just let him sort of run out of steam, and then occasionally we lock him in the soft room. But other than that, we just let him tucker himself out. Do both
6: families live in this house together? Right?
0: No, it's like a holiday thing. they're it's like a family dinner. Are they on holiday? No, I think they're having like a family dinner. No,
6: but then later on, one of them's reading a book in the living room in the middle of the night, and then Gary Busey's got his like commitment ring, and it's
0: the family's house. It's like because that's the same house that his brother is selling when he goes back. But it was their parents parents house and so, so all of them live there no i don't think they all no i don't think they all live there. <laughs> listen to what i'm telling you well
5: it feels like <laughs> howie mandel lives there it feels like he's the crazy uh, brother-in-law in the attic or something he's got he's the witching board and stuff
0: yeah he's definitely had some time to make up that crazy nonsense the on the wall
5: Ouija. basically he is like uh, deciphering the bible code remember when there was that big craze about the bible code
0: It's because of the whole Da Vinci Code stuff, wasn't it? It was because, um, uh, what was his name who wrote Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown. There you go. It's because, um, because, (laughs) because when, when that novel went to number one and it was all the codex and all this kind of stuff in it, Dan Brown had taken just enough from actual, like, like sort of Bible code nonsense to, well, basically do what these films do, uh, is that get bought by every Christian and then have people go a little bit bonkers over it. This movie to
5: me, it's it's kind of a retelling of They Live.
0: I see that. I actually, I'm with you on that.
5: Yeah, that's that's a very good connection. I mean, we've got the homeless thing in there. We've got Gary Busey on the run. Uh, we've got the VR stuff in here, and then the whole satellite uplink kind of thing. I mean, it it just it, and this movie really threw me because it is both a prequel and a sequel in the exact same film. Because during during the early part uh Busey's wife calls Helen and she's still working at WNN and I was just like wait what's going on and and they mentioned Macaluso at the beginning and I was just like uh, what world is this and then Busey gets in this horrific car accident he wakes up with this amazing b- fake beard and head of hair <laughs> he I like the fact that before he goes out the door he's told
6: to drive safe and he says I'll button my seat belt which you know is like take six. It's the first coherent line they've got out of Busey, and they're like, "Fuck it, it'll do."
5: <laughs> there's something ironic about Busey being in an auto accident. I know it's not a motorcycle, but it's still it, there's something there. It was what, it was it like '88? He had his he
6: suffered his brain injury in the motorcycle accident, and then later he says the line I said earlier: "I have a I'm the one with a brain injury." <laughs> it's like, oh, you poor man.
0: Oh, it's, it's very reflexive um no it's i loved i loved that wig that wig was some good stuff that was like that couldn't have been more uh, what year is it like, so i really, slept too long it was, so, it was so rip van winkle it was incredible i like the idea that they've been keeping him in the hospital but nobody's bothered to shave him or cut his hair for how, like what 10 years how long has it been
6: they didn't even help that other guy get his arm out of his shirt <laughs>
5: They must have exercised him because he doesn't seem to have too much trouble walking. There's no muscle atrophy. atrophy. No atrophy. atrophy. With the help of God, all things are possible. I mean, haven't you guys seen Dead Zone? Come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've mentioned a lot of these sort of, you know, like Dead Alive, Dead Zone, all this kind of stuff. And it's, there does often feel like the filmmakers have seen a lot of these genre films, or maybe they're just sort of drawn to the same tropes. But it does feel reminiscent in a lot of ways but again that world feels so completely at odds with the genre that that you know yeah. i can't quite put those two to rest i think back in the 80s in the uk um
6: i'm trying to remember what it was i think it was top of the pops used to put out like a sort of best of the year album where they had all the singles that had topped the charts but as a sort of a weird rights dodge they were all cover versions they were all, so it was like a compilation of the best music but it was all done by other people <laughs> And these movies feel like they've kind of done that with film tropes. Like they've got significantly less able people Off to, brand. yeah, to just do like a sort of off-brand montage of things from other films, and then also the Bible.
5: Like I said, this is the movie that really introduces psychic abilities. I mean, we've seen some like teleport, not teleportation, levitation in these movies, but this really goes for it. And there's this whole that like, you were talking about the t- Tower of Babel, and these psychic guys in this area where I think there's an inverted pentagram above them. They start blasting out a psychic message to this guy as a test. And then Howie Mandel, Jason is his name in this movie, he is so open to psychic phenomena that he picks up the same thing and basically reenacts this exact same scene at his house that this guy does at his apartment. And the one guy defenestrates himself, Howie Mandel defenestrates himself, but he jumps out through the the, the ground floor and so, and then he's kind of this this loose end that needs to be fixed. And then the psionic guy comes to the hospital and starts talking at him. Though, no, is he really there or is he just a figment of Howie's imagination? And it totally, you know, this cabald guy shooting these psychic messages at Howie Mandel's head. I'm totally thinking of Professor X.
6: Yeah. We've, well, we've also had the guy who the messages were meant for being able to telekinetically retrieve a knife across a room. Like he 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 brings a weapon to himself, which Bucy is Busey's first like moment of doubt.
5: Yeah, and Busey is the non-believer in this one. He's the one who doesn't want to go to church with his is it with his wife? I think sister. sister Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, because Margot Kidder is the uber Christian, and that's the story with this movie. Is apparently, and I don't know how much I believe this, that Margot Kidder and Howie Mandel were like, well, we didn't know this was a Christian movie. And I'm like, you are spouting so much Bible nonsense in this movie. Howie Mandel
6: has no excuse because he's in the whole film. (laughs) Uh, Although his character does later, he's the only one who leaves when they're like, who is willing to die for the Bible? (laughs) And Howie Mandel is like, later, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Margot gets raptured, so she's not in anything after the car crash. So, like, I guess maybe she has a little bit more.
0: One of the prime things that Kidder objected to, which I think is fair enough, was the implication that if your loved one is hearing voices, um, definitely don't take them to a hospital. Definitely yeah. take them to church. Don't take your mess. Um, because obviously, you know, she has some one-on-one experience with, with mental health struggles and this kind of thing and the importance of staying on your medication. And, and I think for her to find out that just just mere moments after her scene the film is wholeheartedly endorsing getting someone breaking someone out of the hospital to get them to church rather than letting doctors give them medication
6: like how he's like i want to go home and they're like we should take him home (laughs) the doctor's like we had to tie him down
5: This guy is dangerous. He's talking to people that aren't there. Granted they are psionic projections within his head, but yeah, to anybody else. And and there was one part where the the doctor comes up and he was just like, Listen, I gotta show you something, and then he shows him pictures of how he's brain and I was just like I thought you were going to take him to the room and and say look at this guy. Look at look how fucking crazy he is.
6: No no no, he's like, "Guys, yeah, you know how we only use 10% of our brain?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, sure. That's a thing. That's definitely that. that's a real that. thing." I
4: heard that.
0: <laughs> Um but that is that is one of those things that's just like a twisted fact that's not quite true. There's nothing there's nothing that indicates we only use 10% of our brain or at a time or anything like that. It's one of those bits of science that's been twisted around. But
6: loads of this good? but loads of this movie is based on this is like the the filmmakers being like this is the dumb stuff that Christians think non-Christians think or this is like here are some things we can disprove easily. Like all of the arguments made by atheists in this movie are arguments written by christians that christian characters can win like so everyone everyone in this film is wrong in some way
0: well but you you said it while we were watching them you said it's it's easy for the christians to win the arguments when they're writing both sides Yeah. yeah and that's it very much feels like in a lot of these places that the the argument is being written by 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 both sides really at the end of the day
5: well, you want to talk about something funny to me as well, which is, I talked about how, you know, oh my God, alien abduction, that's ridiculous. The other thing <laughs> is when the sister gives Howie a crystal to protect him. And I was just like, oh, now we're going against the new age people. Okay. <laughs> because, I because that is more town. ludicrous. <laughs> We will take no prisoners.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like the idea. I like the idea that in the post-apocalypse, because this is all post-apocalypse, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah um,
6: this is by this point we're post-rapture. Uh, you can I tell because love- there's trash everywhere.
0: I love that post-rapture, um, we've got... uh No, no, it's not post-rapture. It's pre-rapture the crystal. The crystal's pre-rapture. It is. Because oh, yeah, Howie Mandel's in the bed, and then it's when he gets in the car to go drive home that he has the car wreck. Um Which is a very, uh like, sort of... Uh, a Walking Dead sort of opening you've got you've got the guy wakes up and everything's changed and he doesn't know what's going on and yeah, it's a bit the, the dawn of the day that's evening.
6: what I that's what I was saying earlier it's Day like, of the Triffids uh, 28 Days Later yeah, exactly, they, exactly yeah. they've taken things that are staples and then done them worse <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then done them
6: not very well my favourite bit in the hospital uh, is when uh, Beauty's like oh I'm gonna go and watch an autopsy <laughs> There's an autopsy going on? I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm sure
5: that's an ad lib.
6: Yeah, <laughs> it's like someone mentioned an autopsy. Busey leaves set.
5: <laughs> they
0: were filming in a real hospital. And Bucy got off on the wrong floor.
5: <laughs> Listen, Andre, I like what you're doing, but can I see that autopsy now?
0: Somebody told me I could see a real man get cut open if I came to work today. it just it feels it feels definitely like he is he's got a different agenda i think to most humans at any given time well
6: and this is the one where busey's like i wish you were there instead of me you're a christian
0: (laughs) that was this one where it's like i don't believe in god but i think that this could be one of those devil things because i think probably it's more what it does again the inconsistencies run rampant delightfully
5: I like that we have a revised mark of the beast in this one. In the the previous one, it was just six 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 written on your hand, and in this one, it's the uh, the, the the pyramid of the uh, masonic pyramid that's there the instead. And yeah. I'm like, come on, stay uh, stay on brand here.
0: I like the idea they revised it. I like that it's like it's the it's the hand stamp 2.0 this season's hand stamp.
6: The, well, yeah, it's like when a company rebrands and they have to let everyone know, you know, new new names same great taste. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> same great Satanist.
6: and everyone rebels and they have to go back to real mark of the devil
4: <laughs>
6: mark of the devil classic
5: yeah. <laughs> in the second movie is when they introduce ONE and I don't think they ever say what it means until this movie the one nation earth
6: I think it says one nation earth on the CD okay this movie but yeah but, it, but they don't they don't really explain much but, but the the I said to Jen I think that the filmmakers uh confuse being oblique with being intelligent with with their writing. They're just like, oh, and then here we have like a double-triple-cross, and then here we have some stuff
5: that there's no way you could have foreseen. And then, yeah, it's just all over the place. They just don't explain anything. Uh, and, yeah, so we've got Busey coming back, looking like Rip Van Winkle, manages to get shaved down and everything, and it's this whole thing of him try you know it's it's don't it's very much the opposite I guess if they live don't put on the glasses you know you don't exactly. want to put on the glasses because then you'll get the mark of the b so he has to run around and try to pretend like he's got the mark keeping his hands in his pockets at all time goes into the one store and uh there's this big glory to man sign and the guy welcomes him with glory to man and it's just like oh yeah don't put man before (laughs) god it's this whole secular (laughs) secular message you know don't be a secularist don't depend on yourself you have to depend on god
0: well, and it sort of, this made me question actually whether or not Bird Box was doing a sort of a rapture thing, because the, the idea that when you look into the, the headsets, you go bonkers. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. It feels like it was established in the last one, but is even more so now.
6: Although the, the, the people who put on the headsets in this become significantly less immediately evil than they did in the last one. Like, Mr. One-Arm in the hospital puts on the thing, and he goes from being like, Hi! Oh, wow, I've been pretending to be asleep for months. It's bullshit. I'm glad you're awake. You have to pretend to be asleep too. <laughs> everything He's is awake. everything is terrible. And then they're like, have the headset. I've got my arm back. He's over there. <laughs> But, like all he does is like nark on gary busey he doesn't he doesn't like shoot a dog
0: When in out nark on Gary Busey, I think that's like chaotic neutral narking on Gary busey I think
6: going back to the glory to God shopkeeper, do you think he's got a he's got an Italian special forces assault shotgun do you? Where do you think he got that? <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, it's set in the near future. They had been refu- they'd been revoked from sale in the states like three years before uh, this so movie this is, was released.
0: This is reality. Interesting, man. This is like, why do they actually have this weapon that's outlawed?
6: <laughs> why do they have a spas twelve? <laughs> they probably got on a gun show.
0: Oh yeah. man,
6: ridiculous! With the uh, with that, it's got the curled stock on the top of it. The, you know that weird hook it's got is so you can fire it single handed, leaning out of a moving
5: vehicle. Oh my holy shit
0: I wonder if they sell any of these DVDs at at gun shows I wonder if there's like a Christian DVD section at gun shows there is that feels like a tie-in that would be viable i wonder i wonder if one of their financial sponsors was an arms dealer and they just got all of their guns um for trade or on discount I, just like their their videotapes and bibles
6: I, I probably wouldn't have been allowed back on set but i did a picture with nicholas cage earlier this year and i really wanted to ask him about Left Behind. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i kept my mouth shut and
4: your
5: job yeah I, I kept my mouth shut and my job <laughs> You know, speaking of uh, guns uh, with this, uh, for whatever reason, with this scene, I was reminded of the scene in The Terminator where he goes to buy the gun from Dick Miller. The guns, I should say. And that reminds me of something that we didn't talk about in the last movie, which was Parker, Macaluso's left hand man, being able to do the Terminator thing and use Fahey's wife and daughter's voices on the phone.
6: Oh, that's amazing.
5: Devil science.
0: Obvious devil science. Feels like that's something that's something that, that demons get as a superpower all the time is being able to do fake voices. But the thing is that
6: it's like he he can do that, but it doesn't work. <laughs> like he's like, I mean, it's hard to hear it, but I know it's not them. It's fine. Like it doesn't actually serve. There, there are loads of ideas that do not progress the plot in these movies, and that's and that's one of them. There's not even a your dog is dead, <laughs> your parents are dead. <laughs> like what's up with Woofy? There's. <laughs> He just doesn't buy it. He's just like, yeah, like I'm kind of I've come around to the whole rapture idea by this point. I know that's not them.
0: Well and then and then when he sees them, it's sort of like already it's like, eh, we've been down this road. It's like, you know, it's uh,
6: I mean if if you. if you'd showed them to me back when you did the voice, I was still on the fence, like maybe I would have
5: gone for it, but yeah, no, not now.
0: I'm I'm slight of your tricks, Satan.
5: <laughs> uh, so we uh, have those same group of haters again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, can't even who, say <laughs> who can't stop hating. They just continue to hate, which in this film means love because it's opposite day.
5: So we're back with Helen now, and uh, the kind of tubby guys there. Of course, the blind girl who is no longer blind. She's out of here, as well as Spino. Uh, but we have uh, Mrs. Davis from the previous film is here as well, and now we've got Busey joining up uh, with kind of howie mandel is kind of there but then yeah but then there's a part where an one guy comes in and i love this one guy um who actually isn't spoilers he's not an one guy but he certainly acts like it and that he starts denigrating the bible and he's just like a bunch of ignorant fishermen wrote this and i'm just like is this what they really believe that anybody believes that it was actually the actual disciples wrote the gospels
0: and uh, and that dudes living in the Middle East in you know zero were named Matthew Mark Luke and John <laughs> It's you know, that was that was a moment that really stood out for me as well that that the and that the, the idea that that's an insult as well how how uh, how socialist and in cap- uh, classist to think that being a fisherman is in some way bad.
6: They go back to that in the fourth movie as well, when they're talking about like the uh, the witnesses to Christ. And they... The
0: 500 most best... They were really good people.
5: And they're like, yeah, I don't think the disciples are
6: good people. They all sound like garbage. <laughs> I don't trust them.
5: They all denounce Christ. You did mention Calvin's now a real estate magnate who uh, doesn't remember Eileen whatsoever, doesn't remember the Margot Kidder character whatsoever, and she's missing from the photos. And I'm just like... Okay. Why? What is going on here? But then, of course, we have to have Gary Busey going back to that tree that we saw at the very beginning where Eileen was carving in her name and her two brothers' names. And that's when he hooks up with uh, Jason again, the Howie Mandel character. And Mandel and Busey on screen at the same time together. It is just glorious.
6: One of my favorite things about that is that because, as we stated earlier, Howie Mandel is not in that opening scene, Howie Mandel has no business knowing where that tree is. And it is a pure coincidence that he finds Gary Busey in that tree. This was my hiding tree. How'd you find me here? <laughs> yeah. I know, right?
0: And I like I like that in whatever world this is, the devil is able to do basic telepathic Photoshop. But as far as sanding down a tree stump that's not that's not as far or as Or his... chopping
6: down a tree.
0: <laughs> well no cuz the the god is protecting the tree. God was always going to protect the tree. Because uh, Margot Kitter Margo, was... Margot Kitter did the god magic while her brother was paying. Um and so so yeah so the tree is protected but you could still sand it down in a race or like putty over it. Like there's things that could have been done. If you can photoshop his sister from a picture. Yeah. It just feels a little bit. It's yeah, he's, he's picking his battles I guess. I don't know.
5: Yeah, and poor Helen gets uh captured at one point in this movie and she gets the headset put on her, so she has a one on one with Macaluso. And was it just my copy or does the the Matrix look really bad in this version compared to the last one?
6: Yeah, it's not it's it's not particularly good. <laughs> but she uh but, but the other thing is that she was able to sneak a physical object from the real world into the matrix which is, you know, their entire plan hinged on that maybe
4: working.
5: <laughs> and I love this whole idea, too, that when it becomes Macaluso's Matrix and this whole Day of Wonders VR set thing, you know, we you were talking about Spino take, doing that sadomasochistic thing and scratching that uh, shell across his chest. And then when it becomes the Macaluso version, now if you die in the Matrix, you die for real.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because that's that's that one line of code that they get all excited about in the... um. In the in the second one is that the one line of code is the thing that takes it from being virtual reality and real reality. As you say, if you die in the matrix, but that's you die for real.
6: That's another trope, isn't it? It's you know, you die in the game, you die in real life. That's that's another thing they've just kind of borrowed. He turned the safeties off.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and which is which is it? It goes back to that lawn, uh, lawnmower man logic. Actually, is that the sort of like. How does electricity work again? It's like, nobody, nobody needs to know. It's fine. Don't worry about it. There's not a lot of people questioning the logic of this film.
5: And the only thing that's in her Matrix is that amazing guillotine prop that we've seen a few times now with the, uh, the all-seeing okay. eye. Yeah, I love that.
6: For, for what is such a blatant cash grab, these movies are really down on the graphic design of the dollar
5: bill. Do they object against the whole in God we trust on the money? Uh, yeah, it's weird that that
6: hasn't made it to their branding. They've just really concentrated on the pyramid eye. <laughs> they do have
0: they do have a lot of obsession with like commerce, though, don't they? Because again, going back to the whole like, unless you have unless the you have mark, mark, you can't buy and sell. You can't the uh, like it's it it feels like somewhere someone is trying to make a connection to capitalism and evil, but it doesn't ever feel like it really gets there. It doesn't feel like their hearts are in it. Really, is what I mean. The, the capital of criticism. I not, not, not really, <laughs> not really. like the right are in it. That's her big. That's the big cliffhanger, isn't it? In in, I was going to say episode three. Uh, of, really? uh, in episode three is that our our dearest Helen, um, is willing to go be with God, which is not a punishment well, but at this, all. that's the
6: thing. Like the, the that's one of the things that is interesting about the fourth film to jump ahead slightly is that they kind of acknowledge that actually it's probably best for her to get beheaded by the devil because then she gets to go to heaven like the reason she's in number four is because Macaluso's like you didn't think it would be that easy did you and and catches it betwixt thumb and forefinger catches the blade of the guillotine oh,
0: there you go. which is which is a little bit like almost wants to be pit in the pendulum but not quite yeah there's
6: some very very dubious logic behind the saving the life of uh, of Helen in this uh, franchise about about like sacrificing people and it
5: being a bad thing
0: and then they just put her in prison yeah which is fine apparently <laughs>
5: Let's uh, wrap up Tribulation real quick, which is almost the exact same ending as the previous one because this one is Busey was the non-believer, and at the very end of it, he's just like it's kind of a, a Christmas Carol ending. You know, I'm surprised he didn't like reach out a window and be like, "You there, boy, what day is it?" But it's instead it's like, what, "What what day is it?" And they're like, "Sunday." He's like, "I got somewhere I gotta be," so he takes him and his wife over to this abandoned church, and then he he had this whole thing where he had to put a new ring. on on her finger i'm guessing this is maybe like a symbolism for born again christianity like this. he had
6: a he he said a thing at the beginning about the fact that he couldn't afford her a nice ring when they first got married I think so this is him
0: ring, which implies-
6: no because she's wearing a ring when he puts the ring on her finger at the end she's already got a ring on that finger so no, no, this no, is- but
0: i think i think in the pre in the flashback in the in the middle flashback, <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, uh pre-apocalypse in this film, uh, he shows. I think he shows in the ring, and it's it's blingy. And he says, "I could never." Yeah, he says, "Here, I've got something I yeah, want to show yeah, you." Yeah, yeah. So he was, and he was he had to... the ring in his pocket to show her, and it's the same ring he gives her at the end. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it no, but so what? With. No, 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 I know it wasn't. But so, but so the. uh I like the idea that he had it on him in the hospital, and they just never took it off of then him. He goes back for it. He gets back, back. to the hospital. No, back
6: to the house. It was still in the house. <laughs> when he when his when his brother's like levitating headsets and getting heart attack that's when he goes back to the house
0: oh i see oh.
6: it's a it's a it's a it's a sort of renewal of vows slash sorry i couldn't get you a nicer ring when we got married so capitalism I, yeah
0: because <laughs> if there's one thing christian babes care about it's bling
5: and so we end that one with Busey having his little heart to heart with god which is pretty fantastic watches as the biggest trial in history begins reporting from the one nation
7: earth court of justice i want you to be part of the biggest trial in history You'll be defending helen hannah for her crimes against humanity why me maybe i'm not making myself clear i'm not asking
2: imagine a world ruled by one man
8: i want everyone
2: on one side did you have in mind sir a precedent setting case Where the only justice is his justice. What is this? You've scripted this entire trial? This case is good for the entire world. This case is good for you. A few still fight for what they believe. Why not just pledge allegiance? You realize if you're caught, they can... Not thinking of hiding evidence. Are you mentioned? And it could cost them their lives. Some
1: people say that our new leader is evil. Helen Hanna is one of these people.
2: How do you plead? We plead not guilty. Imagine the greatest trial in history.
0: On the charge of hatred of the human race, Helen Hanna must be found guilty.
2: Where one woman is to become his example. If we execute Helen Hanna, we're going to create a martyr. I don't want to be here. I don't want to Another man is forced to seal her fate. You're gonna be great. You're about to die for someone who will not even show his face! And the resistance is her only hope. They're gonna kill her. It's time we do something about it.
1: All it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do
4: nothing.
2: Corbin Jessica Steen, Mr. T Nick Mancuso.
5: Judgment. Number four, Judgment, starts off with a combination VO and flashback, and I'm not even sure who's doing the VO. I'm guessing maybe Corbin Burnson.
6: Yeah, maybe I was I, I think the thing is without going back and rewatching it I wasn't fine tuned into Corbin's voice by that point so
5: <laughs> we were just talking about the confusion over the ring. I had to rewind and watch parts of this over and over again because I was just like, "Wait, what just happened?" Like uh, spoilers, the death of Mr. T that wasn't the death, I'm just like, wait, how did he survive getting a hand grenade thrown at him?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh, he
6: got blocked by those digital copper boxes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about
0: it. Was his name Mr. T in this as well? It's
6: JT. J-T yeah. yeah.
0: And I think they call him T for short, they because JT T is short. just too much of a mouthful.
6: And because he didn't turn
5: round when you said JT.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> JT. JT. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> T. Oh, yes, yes.
0: My
6: father's Mr. T. Call me Jay.
0: <laughs> oh, man. He definitely didn't see like He knew where he was. He was, I thought he was actually like, like.
6: You know, within the parameters of his career, I think he was one of the ones who was mo- more on point with his acting. Like you got what you wanted with Mr. T. He was doing exactly the same thing he'd done in his entire career. I
0: mean, Mr. T. Mr. T. Did all over the place, but I'm not sure that it was necessarily tonally on in keeping with the rest of the film. Although this film was a patchwork of tone, so
6: I was a big fan of him. Basically, being like, "We've tried it the peaceful way. Let's just fucking kill everyone."
5: <laughs> And that's his whole motivation for the whole thing. I mean, they just keep cutting back to him. And he's just like, come on, now it's time to do it. Let's go. And it's just like, what? <laughs> it's like, because basically this movie is two movies in one. There's the Corbin Burnson movie and there's the Mr. T movie. And I thought Never the Twain Shall Meet, but at one point they finally do. It's like almost an hour into it and they finally cross, cross work. But then again, they split up and become their own movies again.
0: And I can't get out of my mind that Corbin Bernstein is just a poor man's Gene Hackman in this film. I desperately, I desperately just want it to be Gene Hackman in that courtroom going, You've got to tell them you believe!
5: Well of course, growing up on LA Law, I was just like, Oh, it's Arnie, he's back.
0: Exactly. It's this is actually he's actually playing the same character. They've just changed his name and he obviously didn't I like how there's apparently a shortage of lawyers in the rapture though, as um are yeah, as- then not who I would have put my money on getting <laughs> getting into heaven. <laughs> I like how the entire legal system is like, nope, they were good guys after all. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, but computer engineers, there's a lot of those who remained behind. <laughs> it was very much, as you say, it was sort of like a watered-down episode of, of LA Law or something, but then suddenly cutting back to like, outcuts from an A-Team episode. The
6: courtroom stuff is one of the reasons this film is so confusing, because we've all watched courtroom dramas, we all know how they kind of work, and then this follows none of those rules. <laughs> and by its own admission, it's like, well, this is a show trial, like, we're all gonna, you know, it's all written, it's scripted. Yeah, the, we the, want the outcome. The
0: trial is scripted. The I
6: trial like is scripted. One. But it, it does not follow the... Look, for a start, I don't think courtrooms tend to have, like, an amphitheatre seating for
0: just general members of the public. <laughs>
5: It was very To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, the, with the, the, the whole audience up above and looking down into the court proceedings.
0: It very much is one of those um, hospital theaters, isn't it? It's very much like a hospital theater. But then, But then it sort of reminds me of like science fiction councils, like you get. You know, like in Star Wars or or Star Trek, you end up with the the council is sitting around in judgment with the tables on the ground, rather in the sort of theater in the round with the with the spectators in the courtroom acting as the audience as well. But I mean, who are they putting the show trial on for?
6: Well, no, so at the beginning they say, like um, Macaluso is um, like complaining about the fact that they're not getting conversions at the same rate that they used to he's like "People killed everybody oh, they've killed everybody but also he's like but people aren't knocking on their families as much as they used to they're all really apathetic And so they're like, well, we need to stir up some outrage against the haters, and the best way to do that is to do a big show trial.
0: You're absolutely right, because there is that whole, the the young son bit at the beginning with the the father having narked on his young son, and then we learn later that Corbin narked on his dad, but he never really narked because his is only a fake tattoo.
6: Well, sort of, yeah, but his father still got, as far as I can tell, stuffed into an incinerator.
5: (laughs) And that was the first show trial, apparently.
6: Yeah, that was the, the most famous trial of all time.
0: But probably only the last trial they've ever had. Like No, 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 no. But he they do say that he's put haters away oh no, it's only like a hater away before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when they say you've put haters away before, they mean hater singular yeah. rather than, oh, that makes a big difference actually. So has he just been not doing trials for ages? Like,
6: I don't know what he's doing. Like corporate law? Brown <laughs> Intellectual Contracts, property. <laughs>
5: <laughs> the first time we see him, he's he's consulting with a woman who doesn't have a mark and doesn't want to get a mark, and basically trying to get like into the underground or something. And then that other lawyer woman just bursts into the room, and I was just like, "Wow, don't you knock?"
6: No, well, she, she that's his ex girlfriend as well. We find out later, isn't it? So she's uh, ex wife. I think just ex-girlfriend, but maybe ex-wife. But anyway, ex of some kind. And she's super entitled all the way through. But she oh, yeah. she knows his mark is fake, and she's holding that over him. The only reason he goes through with the show trial is because she blackmails him that he she knows he has a fake mark.
0: But the, this is the girl who was in the chair is our bad... Our, I can't tell if it's a bad Irish accent it's or not. Very, I'm so overwhelmed by, by it. Accent. I don't know if it goes all the way around and comes back or not. Um, but she ends up being uh, one of the non-believing haters... Because she and her boyfriend just want food. She's hater
6: adjacent. She's hater adjacent. The boyfriend just wants some Rocky Road ice cream.
0: Yeah, he is super and obsessed with chocolate. chocolate. I think he needs to get his blood sugar checked because he is he is real concerned with food all the way through. And she is
6: described as having computer skills, which if the two movie, last two movies are told us anything, is going to be pivotal.
0: I know, I know this is a really silly thing, but they only describe it as computer skill. Like yeah. every time they say it, they say she's got computer skill. And then I was like, "Which one?" Well, but it turns out actually, you
6: all you need to be able to hack into their like their list of people who have been converted is very basic Excel spreadsheet work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Control O. That's like I've hacked it
5: this movie does not abide by its own logic by any stretch of the imagination there's a moment where the girlfriend uh, Victoria Thorne I think her name is says to him like be surprised when I shoot you and then a guy bursts in later with a knife and I was like wait what
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember that as well I was yeah because just before they go into the courtroom she says don't be surprised when I shoot you or act surprised when I shoot you or something and it's like oh man did we just figure out that the whole thing is super meta but a bit Forgetful, and when they say the whole courtroom scene was scripted, it really was scripted, but the being unscripted was scripted, and she was always gonna do that.
5: <sighs> then of course, Corbin Burnson goes off script and says that he wants to put God on trial. So immediately I'm thinking of those like horrible God's not dead movies, and I'm just like, oh for fuck's sake.
6: I was very, very let down that the line, I called Jesus to the stand was in the trailer. And I feel that that was a lie. Because <laughs> they, they were just pointing out that he
5: could not be bothered to come to the stand <laughs> yeah. rather than that we were going to get Christ on the stand. I was really hoping for that as well. I really, if there's a movie that's going to do it, I thought for sure the doors were going to open, the holy light oh. comes out, but nope.
0: Hair blowing in the breeze sorry i was getting a perm
5: when they are swearing they're obviously they're not swearing on a bible is that like the constitution is that the rule of man being higher than the rule no no of it's got God? devil
0: horns on it
6: it, it does see. have devil horns on it but in the first movie they talk about the fact that he's got a new constitution for the whole world and so that'll be what they're swearing it's, on. it's
0: like the what do they call it the black verse or something what is the satanic mass yeah
4: something
6: but, but I don't think it is I think it's don't kill each other we need peace like because that's what the Constitution is that they're referring to in the first movie well, which seems like a decent thing to for an atheist to to swear on
0: it's, and then you get and then you get the two Christian women who are like I will not t-. they're like eh, okay well you don't gotta
6: like but you have my word that I'm telling the truth. Uh, d- the demons are like, that'll do.
0: <laughs> These haters, they don't lie. That's we, one thing I'll say about them.
6: Inherently untrustworthy demons will definitely, we'd Like if there's one thing we know, it's that Christians tell the truth. So we'll go along with this. I like how in her opening speech, the evil lawyer lady, uh, Vicky, has brought a prop like ore with her yes that is fantastic <laughs> just busts out like a massive bit of wood it turns out that there is zero security on the doors into this courtroom because he
0: brings given, a how, gun.
6: given how easily corbin burns it just brings in a fully loaded revolver See, i
0: feel like the ore was like she was on her way in she was rushing in she left her notes for her opening argument but she still had some of her kit from her weekend of kayaking and she's like you know what I can make make this work. work. I also
6: like that Corbin Burnson then uses the oar in his opening. Oar in your face. Uses the oar in his opening argument. And I I imagine her being like, no, no, that's my oar. You can't use my prop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like like a very possessive improv group. Yeah.
5: Macaluso at one point shows up and he's just like, hey, uh, put me on the stand, but uh, make sure that I go last because I'd like to have the last word. And then again, they call more people and I'm sitting there going, wait, I thought Macaluso wanted to have the last word.
0: I think the screen screenwriters forgot what they'd done a lot in this script. I think they just kept writing until they hit 90 pages and then they wrapped it up.
6: But then Burnson, remembering this promise, calls Macaluso a second time. (laughs)
0: I like the again. I like the idea that it was the actor who remembered. He was like, "No, no, no, we have to bring him back." And they're like, oh, "Okay, we can do another day."
6: For the first two movies, well, no, for the second and third movie, for the last two movies, I uh, I'd been just annoyed at the fact that people hadn't been just like sh- using a sharpie to put six 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 on the back of their hand, <laughs> and then Mister T like gets a tattoo of the mark on the back of his hand and i'm like nah that's using using the old brain box if you figured it out and then immediately we show him Burnson's tattoo which is a sticker that seems to have a microchip underneath it and he says that it, it they can scan it and they'll read it and it'll show up as real which instantly undermines mr t's efforts
5: yeah it's like poor mr t he went through all that to get the tattoo had to pay that guy yeah. all that money his hand,
6: what, the, uh, the 1920s Russian strongman that did his tattoo and then also hacked the Excel spreadsheet for him? <laughs> yeah, he pays him, like, some a small number of coins
5: and then the guy immediately gets murdered. 40 pieces of silver, I think? Something like that?
0: Yeah! <laughs> I was, it was weird that, like, again, for all of this buying and selling of money that nobody, you know, of, of goods that no one can do without the symbol, I I liked how affordable tattoos have become. Not,
5: yeah, 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 exactly. Like, But only one type of tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: really high-tech kind.
5: Yeah, in the world today, it's like, okay, how are people going to get tattoos over their tattoos? of the-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like how the devil would be like, take my Aww. sign. I already have! Guys, Wait, guys, I guys, can't guys. Say-
6: that's really easy no one with tattoos is getting
5: into heaven (laughs) (laughs) that's true that does go against leviticus doesn't it yes it does
0: maybe that's the trick maybe that's actually the trick for the devil is the getting the mark is like ha ha it tricks you now you have a tattoo you're never getting in now
5: the one thing that we briefly touched on in previous films, like I think Fahey brings it up, and then they bring it up here and they quickly dismiss it, is the whole problem of evil. Like they have this general come in from the O.N.E. Peace Corps, so that I'm wondering, like, do Christians hate the Peace Corps too because it's a globalist organization? But anyway, he comes in and uh, they're like, "Oh, so what was the world like before Macaluso took power?" And he's like, "Oh man, it was bad. There's ethnic cleansing. There's war." there's poverty and i'm just like yeah and now there's none of that stuff uh- <laughs>
0: none, none for any people who we care about
5: yeah there's still still just
6: a little like uh, some genocide but just for flavor <laughs> just-
0: we're only killing the bad people now. Before there was a lot of just indiscriminate killing. Now we're really sure we're just killing the bad people. One
6: of the uh, one of the guys that's They're currently callers. one of the guys that's currently in competition to be the new prime minister of England uh, recently said that Christians are now the most persecuted people in the world.
5: Well, they are. Aww. They get put in camps. They they Poor get guys. made fun of by us. You know, it's horrible. It's just... Yeah.
0: God, that must suck.
6: But it's Bible camp. (laughs)
5: To
0: be fair, it's voluntary and it's Bible camp.
5: Yeah, so much of the, the flavor of these movies is this whole idea of the persecution of Christians. It's just like, oh, we are the most persecuted. It's like, well,
0: really? Are you? I think that's confusing with someone disagreeing with you with persecution. People can disagree with you and not be persecuting you. It's a bit creepy cultural now how how that has become a thing. How to disagree with someone is the same thing as attacking them or persecuting them. And it's just, it just rule isn't.
5: (laughs) You're going to take away my Bible and outlaw it and then put me in camps and put us in an incinerator and all these things. That's the next step. That's where we're headed with all this stuff. No,
6: no, you you do whatever you want. Just stop telling people uh, what they can and can't do with their own bodies. Wouldn't
5: that be nice? But yeah, this general brings up this whole idea of, you know, all of these horrible things that were going on, and it's this whole thing of like, okay, well, if God exists, why are all these horrible things happening? Why did why do people get cancer? Why is there famine? Why is there war? Why are there natural disasters? Why are there car accidents, Gary Busey? And it's just like, (laughs) all of this stuff is preventable, but it ends up taking Macaluso to do this? I mean, but granted, yes, it's not a perfect world whatsoever. I mean, we did just see a whole bunch of homeless people get massacred. Word. But yeah, and, it's-
6: and they do keep on stuffing people's dads into furnaces.
0: <laughs> They're people's children too. Dan,
6: um, one of my favorite bits is almost immediately afterwards. I think the second witness is uh, is the Spino cameo.
5: Oh, yeah. And he's got his own laugh track. I mean, I'm just there like, woo, 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 yes, yeah, Spino! Come on! Everybody it's loves it's like when Kramer opens the door, you know?
0: <laughs> it is. Well, it's like, and it kind of reminds me of like, an ep- suddenly the courtroom turns into a Jerry Seinfeld stage. Like, yeah. it's 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 absolutely hilarious.
6: But also, he's like... They're like, look, when you walk, could you walk, but like more than walk? Could oh, you that's do a like sauter. 110% walking? If
0: walking could be loud, yeah. can you do a loud walk?
6: To demonstrate how much you're loving these new legs. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. It's
6: um, and, and then he demonstrates that he's got telekinetic powers as well. Like, he didn't just get his legs working. He got the ability to make people look like they wet themselves by tipping water into their laps with his mind. Going back to the third movie. Move.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. just a dick move. And keep in mind, that's his half-sister he does that too.
6: Yeah, well, the, the whole thing is he's, he's questioned, and they're like, do you love your sister? And he's like, mm, not quite love. Love's a bit strong. I'd say... Hate, and it's like, "Your your concept of scale is awful. <laughs> if you think that a little bit less than love is hate, looks like I got a binary emotional switch."
0: It also, um, there, something felt very like schoolyard about it as well as like, do you love your sister? <laughs> do you? Do you want to kiss her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It <laughs> felt very like like goading him, like because l- love is stupid. <laughs>
6: well, and this is the second moment when uh, when Fahy, uh, Uh, when Burnson goes off track uh because he's like and did you love her before the rapture before you put on the goggles and he's like i mean yeah i (laughs) guess and then so Burnson gets dragged into the boss's office and he's like you dick don't ask questions like that it's like uh you could you let him on on the stand you let me ask him questions and then he answered the question
5: i should not be in trouble here and yeah, when they call Macaluso to the stand and Victoria Thorne outright just calls him Lucifer, I was just like, wait, when did we go from – because we've called him the savior, we called him the messiah, we called him the president, all these things. When do we just outright just pull off the band-aid and call him Lucifer?
0: It's it's like for the cheap seats now. They're like, we're, we're winding up to the end, just in, in case people didn't get what was happening. This is the devil. Well, it's –
6: In the beginning, they're like, the the Christians keep on going, guys, come on. It's all in the Bible. It's really like, it's really on the money. If you (laughs) don't believe me, watch this tape. Yeah. It's super accurate. You'll, you'll get it. And by number three, like for two and three, it's like, anyone who's seen the omen knows that the mark you're getting is a satanic mark. Like it's really on the nose. So by the time they're calling him Lucifer in number three, it's like, So, have they just erased the memory of the Bible from all the minds of the people who have yet to take the mark? But, like, how does that work? Because the Christians remember it. It's illegal. But everyone, like, there's no room for agnostics in that world by number four. Like, the the fact that anyone goes, well, this magic dude's calling himself Lucifer, (laughs) but I'm not sure about this whole religion thing.
5: Going back to your earlier point about the hungry guy and the quasi Irish girl, it's like Mm -hmm. they're the souls that are in the balance in this one. Those souls and Corbin Burnson's soul. And we don't know what's going on, you know, and like we keep getting the flashbacks with him and his father. And yeah, going back to the earlier point, everybody seems to know about this relationship. And Helen talks to him openly about it to the point where I was just like, how does she know all this stuff? The tape that she's like, she
6: writes down like a thing. She's like, just, just check this out and it'll all understand. And Helen hands him the thing. And he basically goes and watches like five hours of YouTube k- Christian conspiracy videos. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Well, there's that and there's also that email that he gets that has the attachment on it which is, "Hey, I used to work for ONE and we are the ones who are doing all the bombing and terrorist acts and here's the detonator and if you go to this place you'll see where we <laughs> blow something up."
0: I've got to say if if there's any kind of genre that's allowed to use a Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> is, it, is it is it is it not the thing? <laughs> you know, like if it's they're like, "Uh, oh, we've kind of we kind of painted ourselves into a corner here, guys. Don't worry, there's a trope that's just right for Eyes.
6: It's yeah, it's pretty good. They, um, he like all the while Mr. T is like okay, like demanding to go and kill people, and they're slowly ruminating on a plan, and they're gonna bust Helen out, and uh, they're, they're sort of both moving on their uh, on the same path. The uh, the two groups, uh, Burnson and T's separate uh, thing. Burnson's still got his dad's Bible, hasn't he, as well, which is illegal, and he sits there getting whiskey drunk <laughs> listening to Amy Mann covers <laughs> and reading, really looking at his dad's Bible.
5: I was so confused. Well, by a lot of things, but with this movie where we've got the guys who come in and blow up, like we know that Corbin burns and We find out that he's been bugged or tracked. So he goes and visits the rebels visits the haters. And then these guys show up shortly thereafter, these well-dressed guys, men in black basically. And they shoot people, they blow it up. And then later on, is it the same guys who show up again, but seem to be maybe quasi good guys? It's just like they, they the, the, show up and they, they save shoot Mitch. The guy with the knife? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It
0: seems, it seems like it, it really seems like they're setting it up for a fifth movie or like, don't we? This was God's plan all along or yeah, it's sort of again, it feels like nothing actually matters that happens in the film, that there's something bigger going on that is is going to determine the outcome anyway.
5: But yeah, that's yeah, that's all of these films. It's just God's big plan. To jump very quickly to the end for people who are listening to this episode, there's no conclusion. This movie no. does not conclude. Macaluso <laughs> is still in power yeah. at the end of this movie, so
6: the last shot of the film of that newspaper headline is just spectacular.
0: Again, everyone in print, not Christian, apparently. So if you if you think about like at the end of number
6: two, they managed to completely bypass, like they they managed to delay the day of wonder. But by the time we get to the back up to the timeline after Beauty's accident in three, the day of wonder has happened. So we've completely missed whatever the rescheduled day of wonder was, and it seems to have gone off without a hitch. Well, and then bringing Helen
5: back from the the dead, quote unquote, in this movie. It's just like, we are going to undo what the previous movie did. This is The Last Jedi versus, uh, the, you know, the, the Force Awakens. Yeah, they are retconning hard um yeah, Even within the same movie, with with Mister T still being alive, I was like, "Really? Okay." I,
6: I love it. We bust in uh, on Helen, and uh, there's already a guard there. He's described as disguised as a guard, and he's like, "Troubles brewing. Get to the court." <laughs> and the, and the guy's like, "What the fuck? Who are you?" And he's like, "Do I look patient?"
0: i think he probably said on other takes i don't have no time for no jibber jabber and they were probably like we think you probably need to be more officious for that like more like can you be a little bit more like ooh, i'm a proper soldier jibber jabber he definitely said jibber jabber i can't believe he He didn't didn't
6: pity any fools out loud
0: not a single fool you know what though haters don't pity no fools haters gonna hate so you know you can't you can't blame them
5: i forgive some fools (laughs) The weirdest part of this movie for me is – so, Mrs. Davis comes and basically is going to sacrifice herself by uh testifying on Helen's behalf. And that's when you're talking about the whole, like, 500 documented sightings of Jesus after the resurrection. Oh, yeah. And they start talking about – and this is one of those, like, we are – aiming at our audience and no one else because they're just like Simon blah blah Greenleaf blah, blah Simon Greenleaf I'm like who the fuck is Simon Greenleaf
0: <laughs> you know Simon sigh Greenleaf oh Simon. oh yeah oh Caesar. Jerry's son
5: yeah
6: they go uh, they go hello that's all conjecture that's ancient history we want some modern proof for a modern court and they're like oh well uh, let me tell you about a little guy named Simon Greenleaf and they're like oh god we've been told we've been told about Simon Greenleaf who died in 1853
5: Okay, Simon Greenleaf. To Wikipedia, I go because who <laughs> the fuck is it? They're just talking about him like he's just the most well-known guy. Yeah, you know, he's as oh, well-known as Mr. T, right?
0: Well, it's it's the same. It's the same extent to which they quote like non-christians are able to quote specific bible passages throughout this film like just everybody everybody knows them like honestly most actual christians i know can't just quote bible passages willy-nilly as it were it seems it seems everyone has just gotten that much brushed up on their reading ever since the apocalypse started
5: if they can if you know anybody who can just ra- rattle off like oh yeah galatians 15:12 just like Walk away. Just walk away from that
0: person. <laughs> that's not. That's somebody who owns these films on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. That's it's, they've got it's, just just the special editions.
6: Especially if the things they're saying are so. Mr. T's big Bible quote in this is because uh, he keeps on saying he wants to kill people, and the other haters are like, "Uh, look, they call us haters, but we probably shouldn't be murdering people. We're still Christians." Um, and Mr. T slaps a magazine into an assault rifle or a machine gun. And says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear that sword in vain. <laughs> which is like, uh, which I looked up in his Romans thirteen four, and seems to be like a, uh, like a Crusades excusing quote. Well, you know, God helps those who help themselves.
0: <laughs> that sounds like people who help themselves help themselves. <laughs> people
6: who help themselves to guns help themselves.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to help myself to this bank vault. It's completely at odds with itself, front front to, to back. And I think that's what makes them so captivating, though, is that every time you kind of shake your head and say, wait, what was that? There's something else on screen to shock and awe you <laughs> into, into com- being compelled.
5: It is truly a day of wonders. And we have to talk about the big finale here, the big courtroom finale, where we pull out all the big guns, or the one big gun, I should say. And we've got this whole thing of... Macaluso up on the stand and Corbin burnson has got a gun in court with one bullet in it. And then he's just like, okay, who's going to take a bullet for Macaluso? Who has faith? And this is just this whole faith moment. And I think that the movie thinks this moment is bigger than it is because (laughs) I'm just like, uh yeah, nobody's going to take a bullet for this guy.
4: Yeah,
6: Macaluso has said a number of times that there isn't an afterlife in, in this movie.
0: <laughs> he also doesn't end up shooting at him, so it's not like there's the bullet to take. It's just, I like how it's such a hypothetical question that it's it's, if I were to shoot at him, who among you would jump in front of the bullet and take the bullet for him is a very different question from if one of you says you're willing to be shot uh, so that i don't shoot him then i will shoot you to prove a point <laughs> exactly it just it feels a little bit less considered as an ultimatum than perhaps they think it is well, my,
6: my notes say no one will die for macaluso i think the argument of the film is we have to believe helen because she is fully delusional she really believes to the extent that she's willing to die <laughs> and therefore she must be right
0: sensible choices are not to
5: be considered and that we end this whole fucking thing with a mistrial? I mean, this is...
6: It may as well be like a title card, like at the end of The Breakfast Club. It just You just see a newspaper and it says, Mistrial, Court Against God Dropped. <laughs> got
0: got Corbyn Benson fist-bumping into the air in a silhouette outside the courthouse. The case was later dropped. Yeah,
6: like, <laughs> I, watching it, I was thinking, wow, the Antichrist doesn't have a t- as tight a rein on the American press as Trump. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Or the court system.
0: Yeah, at least, at least Trump managed to actually get his judge in there. This seems, this seems just bonkers.
5: Oh yeah, I can see Kavanaugh just like spitting and <laughs> spitting Kavanaugh. and crying and drinking crying about beer. How much he loves beer.
6: Yes.
0: <laughs> I just really love beer, guys. I'd die for beer if you don't shoot the beer.
6: <laughs> I will gladly take a bullet for a bit <laughs> He
0: would, he would super bro out with everybody. There's a uh,
6: the, there's the bit in number three where the guy busts into the Rat Lake cabin uh, and is like, "Which one of you guys is willing to die for the Bible?" And beauty's is like, "Me, kill me, kill me now." <laughs> kill me right now <laughs> if i die in the film
0: do i die in real life
6: <laughs> my, again my notes say bucey is super up for dying as am i by this point
5: <laughs> i almost feel a little bad making you guys watch these almost oh man so we
6: didn't we didn't address this on air can i can i share the confusion please yeah i love it so uh when mike contacted us uh, about the podcast uh we got sent the list of the films that, uh, that he was planning on um, covering for this season, the post-apocalyptic season. And uh, Jennifer and I gravitated towards, among others, the uh, Apocalypse Quartet. Uh, I'm a big fan of Soviet sci-fi. And Peter Solskin's Apocalypse Quartet uh, are, are fantastic movies. So until about a fortnight before we were to record this, I'd only had six months to prep, I thought we were talking about uh, War of the Worlds, The Next Century, um, Golem.
0: Deep uh, Russian oh, cinema. Uh, <laughs>
6: OBO bar, um, the end of civilization, and Gaga, glory to the heroes, and um, and that is not what we were discussing at all. So I had to panic watch.
0: <laughs> the thing is, I knew I was going to be intellectually challenged. I just didn't know it was going to be on this side of the scale. Yeah,
5: down, <laughs> intellectually challenged, down. <laughs> And the funny thing is, is I'm more than willing to talk about those movies. I've had them sitting on my shelf forever, and I still haven't <laughs> watched them. <laughs> so I'm just
6: like, oh, Absolutely. It's one of my favorite
5: films. We, it's we should take that
0: as a future challenge. We should, we should take a rain check on the, on, the, on the Russian apocalypse quartet.
5: That sounds good to me.
0: Nice one. There we go. There we go. It's a deal.
5: <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to take another break, and we're going to play a preview for next week's show.
3: familiar to anybody
1: it's not pulp fiction it's not reservoir dogs it's not natural born killers you got that it's plump fiction a film of tender romance
5: how do i look
1: nice Penetrating drama no! And hard-hitting action ah! Plump fiction It's a parody
2: She's got a tattoo It's actually a little map, see? It points away to the nearest burger world
1: It's a comedy
2: I hear you he used to strip
1: It's a movie
2: It's all messed up, it doesn't make any sense I know. I love it. You do? Who cares what comes when? That's so mainstream.
3: As long as it's bloody and violent. Maxwell,
1: we're going to shoot this. See, Plump fiction. Oh. Oh.
5: That's right. Keeping with intellectual property, we'll be talking about plump fiction next week. Until then, I want to thank this week's co host Dan and Jennifer. Usually I ask my co-hosts individually what they've been up to separately, but you guys are kind of like a match set being over there at uh, Arrow Video Podcast. So what has been going on with you two?
6: i've just finished um uh, brandon cronenberg's new picture over in toronto oh, oh very so cool jealous. um which is very very exciting uh, that's called possessor and is in the closing stages of post-production at the moment and i'm gearing up to go back out to chicago with mpi and Queensbury pictures with whom i did the gun on the third floor um to do a new picture with them uh, called broadcast signal interference uh which should be pretty exciting
0: I've got uh, I've got an NDA unfortunately (laughs) Um, but uh, but it's some storytelling awesomeness so I hope I hope everybody's going to enjoy it is as much as I can say but it should be it should be cool Um, and and also I can fully support everything that Dan has been doing behind the scenes stuff is absolutely absolutely gobsmacking it's so good I can't wait for people to see it well thank
6: you Jen Uh, also Jen's going to be on an upcoming episode of the Evolution of Horror Podcast for the next season. And obviously I have ongoing the Arrow Video podcast with Sam, my co-host Sam Ashurst. So yeah, if you guys want to check that out, if any of your listeners haven't heard it.
0: Excellent stuff.
5: Well, and I think you guys are back again this year, once if not twice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it, and and I will say because we weren't sure which which film, you know, we're, we're obviously super organized this end. <laughs> um, we have we have already binged the other films, and we're very excited to talk about them. So I think that's going to be it'll be a, it'll be a, a different flavor, I think, the next conversation.
5: Yeah, definitely a step up from these movies. <laughs> oh yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, they're no plum fiction, but but we're going to get close.
0: <laughs> we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We'll do what we can. We'll do what we can with what we have. Well,
5: thank you so much for being on, guys. Thanks to everybody for listening. Please head on over to the website, ProjectionBoothPodcast.com, where you can find out more about today's episode. you also find a link over to Patreon where you can make a donation to the show. Every donation we get helps the Projection Booth take over the world in this life and the afterlife.